0: Back. Welcome back to the Flat Out RC Podcast, a podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis and drones. My name's Andrew Still coming to you from the Land Down Under in Melbourne, Australia. Still in lockdown. We're not gonna harp on it too much. We know what the drill is. Good show coming up for you. Uh special guests. If you listen to last week's podcast, and, and by the way, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that you never miss out on an episode. But Uh, I mentioned that I was going to have a guest on that is from Australia, but lives in the US. Uh, And that guest is a a guy by the name of Aaron Bates. Aaron Bates has been involved in the hobby industry in the past, was uh, sort of the chief scheme designer for 3D Hobby Shop, and involved with him for for many years. So good to reconnect with Aaron Bates after many years. So we'll get to that. But before we do, let's have a look at what's been on my mind. (laughs) Now, before I uh, get to tell you what's been on my mind in the past week, I just wanna remind you about a couple of special offers and I'll I'll be brief this time. Uh, If you need an NGH engine, if you're looking for a petrol engine, a two stroke or four stroke, RC World are offering a 10% discount to flat out RC listeners, fans, gang members, whatever you wanna call them. Uh, Wide range of engines. Best thing to do is get onto rcworld.com.au down here in Geelong and Victoria. They will ship Australia wide. 10% 10% discount on the entire range, two-stroke and four-stroke, as I mentioned. Um, small ones to big ones. I think they go up to a 60cc twin in the four-stroke, which sounds awesome, and a 70cc twin in the two-stroke. Uh, all you need to do is use the code FLATOUTNGH. So when you go to rcworld.com.au, add the products to the cart, the NGH engines, and use the code flat out NGH and you get a 10% discount flat out in That's all you need to do 10% discount is yours on an NGH engine. Thank you. RC world. And another one, we've got another 10% discount offer from scale aero products. Peter Goff at scale aero products was on the podcast a few episodes ago, offered a 10% discount to, uh, the flat out R- RC fans, uh, Scale Aero Products offer a range of uh, laser cut kits, is, is predominantly what they have, uh, plus a few other accessories and things like that. But uh, they're offering 10% off all laser cut kits. So anything from gliders, they've got Aeroflot Aries glider there that looks really, really nice. I saw some photos up on the uh, the old Facebook the other day that uh, love that glider. I've actually got an old one here. I should take some photos of it and share it around. But uh, ScaleAeroproducts.com.au is the website. ScaleAeroproducts.com.au. Uh, go and have a look at their range. If you want a Warbird, they've got it. If you want a civilian plane, they've got some. If you want a a glider, they've got them. If you want an old timer, got them as well. Some of the old sort of more vintage kits and and pretty affordable as well. So 10% discount to make it even better for you. Just use the code FLATOUT10, flat out 10 FLATOUT10 at scaleaeroproducts.com.au. So big thank you to RC World and Scale Aero Products for giving the Flat Out RC fans a discount. We all love a discount. Okay, so what's been on my mind? Well, I'll tell you what. I just got to got to say something like my 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 two minute rant last uh, week that was basically a message about respecting other people and respecting the rules. Yeah, a bit of fire around that. Um, not for many people, uh, but uh, anyway, that was a bit of uh, bit of fun. But um, my message still stands. Just uh, it's just about respect. And if you can't respect people, then fine. You're on your own. Anyway, what's been on my mind? Actually, I was thinking about this the other day. I was lying in bed and I was thinking, and I think I've talked about this in the past and it was the whole topic around where's the hobby going? What's the next level of uh, development in the hobby as far as technology or things like that? And I was thinking how model plane development has really got to a good point. Um, you know, manufacturers know how to make an effective model now. Uh, you have a look at what, uh, top quality brands like extreme flight are doing and pilot rc and um, others of that ilk and the way they're manufacturing the models is phenomenal now it's starting to introduce carbon fiber into their designs to make the planes a bit lighter stronger all that kind of stuff but from a design perspective we sort of know what to do and we're not seeing massive leaps and bound in the design of models we're seeing a few changes in what i call the usability of the models. So, you know, one of the latest movements has been trying to get away with like the old um, wing bolts and have like quick release latches and things like that so that we can assemble the models a lot quicker. And I think uh, there's probably a fair bit of work that can be done with biplanes and stuff like that to just make assembly at the field, uh, you know, just a bit easier and, and save us a bit of time so we can spend more time flying, less time assembling. So I think that, you know, I can't see a lot of development happening around that you know we can build with composites Uh, the scarcity of balsa may make things a bit difficult but we've got composite models that we can build uh, hybrid models of composite and you know built up wings and things like that so uh, but I I, I don't see any you know composites composite building with ply and balsa is building ply and balsa and we have sort of got it nailed I was talking to a friend the other day will we ever see electronic fuel injection into motors and i know that um evolution motors tried to 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 play around with that a number of years ago they said they were going to have a 60 cc petrol engine that um was efi but that just got scrapped there were too many too many issues it's part of the challenge is the weight the size of the devices and all that potentially i think down the track maybe we might get to some more electronic fuel metering kind of system for model airplanes which i would love imagine if you didn't have to worry about tuning that was the whole idea of Fuel injection with, um, you know, motorbikes and cars, and and the challenge is that we fly at different elevations. The car drives along the road, and and yes, it goes up and down hills, but it's sort of a gradual rise. And sort of with an, the old carbureted engines, we would you know find a mix depending on where you lived. You tune it for that sort of altitude and oxygen levels, all that kind of stuff. And fuel injection just got rid of all that. And um, my uh, dirt bike that I have, my trail bike, I climb up and down hills, and it's fuel injected and it runs the same as what it does down at, you know, sea level versus up, you know, 200, 2000 feet. So you got that challenge with a model plane, but it'd be great. I'd love to see that. Is it there yet? No. Um, but, but people have done it, but it's more for commercial UAV applications in larger kind of things. And it's, it's a bit difficult I suppose, uh, turbine engines do it, but that's a little bit different the way the engines run. Uh, so, can't see anything changing dramatically on that front uh you know there might be some subtle design changes but they're really really subtle so we're pretty pretty stable in that regard when it comes to servo technology well we've seen the dig- digital the rise of digital we've seen uh in recent times i think the biggest change has been the the growth of torque figures that, you know we can get a, a 50 kilo torque servo now but there's always this trade off you want torque you're not going to have speed so yes maybe We'll see high-torque servos with high-speed, you know, sort of function as well. Uh, But, of course, we're going to pay through the nose. Like, you go and buy those, you know, massive-torque servos and and you're paying a lot of money for them. So it's not really affordable for for most of us. And, you know, sometimes it's an overkill as well. We don't necessarily need that. But so servo technology, we're pretty good. The reliability of them has improved dramatically over the last 10 years. Uh, So really, when you think about it, we're there. I think one of the other biggest developments that we will see is in, in radios and um, transmitters. I don't think we're going to see a massive shift in what a radio can do, but it'll be the way that it does it or the way that we interact with it. And we saw that with Spectrum developing uh, their their solution on an Android um, operating system background like a lot of mobile phones. But um, that potentially could be could be a future. We I, I think that that changes the game a little bit and what you can actually do out of your radio and connectivity to the internet. Um that's that that concept of integration into other systems that makes things easier to do. So for example, imagine if you're at the field and your mate's got the same radio and you want to have a fly of his plane, you press a button and it sends the um all the details to your to your transmitter and all you need to do is bind it. And even then binding, imagine you know, they've tried to do it with Spectrum, you press a button rather than using keys and all that kind of stuff. So there's usability functions. We've seen telemetry come into the game, which I think that will keep on developing. Voice telemetry, I think is, 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 is there's no point in having telemetry unless you've got voice as far as I'm concerned, because you don't want to look down on the screen. So we're going to see some usability things, I think, come around in the transmitter space. We're seeing some technology that the, um, uh, that uh, Russell Edwards talked about in the podcast uh, in pattern flying, where they're putting uh, devices in their models to capture data to see how they actually flew. You know, how precise were they and that kind of thing and speed differentiations. Just through the use of putting small accelerometer devices into fuselage and I think we'll see more and more of that. Will that come into judging where people download data and base decisions on data? Uh, I don't know, it could be a bit too complex. So definitely see we'll see more of that, that data gathering which we're seeing across the world is just gathering more data and then putting that into systems to analyze what we do uh, kind of thing. Uh, the remote pilot issues and, and tracking aircraft in the air, yes, there's already work on being able to do that, transponders and all this kind of stuff. I think that's inevitable that we'll have to something at some point in time in our model planes. Hopefully, it's just a small little lightweight device and it's looking like that uh, as well, some of the developments they're doing in the US. So really, this automation, maybe GPS automation, where we'll program our models like that you can do with drones and say, okay, press play and it, it does a flight, potentially, but... You know, will people take to that we'll just take the fun out of flying model airplanes and having that that level of control where it's fully automated potentially you never know but realistically i think we're going to see variations on a the theme and uh nothing new we've we've had the drone thing come in and and that's sort of been progressing but now they're just going through very vari- you have a look at a company like dji it's all variations on a the theme now they're, they're you know three generations ago they had a good good uh drone that could take photographs and shoot nice video now it's just the biggest improvements DJI make is really around the camera and they've got more up their sleeve. They are just gradually drip feeding. It's the same as GoPro. They are just gradually drip feeding technology out to the market, um, just to have a new model every, every year. So where will it go? If you've got any comments, send me a message, but, uh, don't know where it's going to go, but I just don't think we're going to see massive leaps and bounds in, in different things in the next 10 years, but I could be proven wrong. But, uh, We will see, as long as we can keep on having fun. Now to my favourite part of the podcast, that is guest time. And this week's guest is a guy by the name of Aaron Bates. Uh, Aaron uh, was born in Australia, lived in Australia all of his uh, youth, ended up marrying uh, a lovely American girl and moved over to the States. And whilst over there, got involved in the flying scene and uh, ended up uh, doing some work with a company called 3D Hobby Shop. Um, they were an aer- aerobatic brand of model aeroplanes, uh, which now merged with Extreme Flight. And uh, I had some dealings with 3D Hobby Shop because I was the distributor for them for, for a number of years um, before the merger uh, here in Australia and uh, sort of established that brand in the country. But Aaron was involved with them. Well, he's known for, for the guy that designed a lot of the scheme. So he'll talk a bit about that. But uh, Aaron's one of those guys that I always say is um, he's got a lot of knowledge um, smart guy, and he's got a lot of knowledge around the hobby and and, and different things, and um, doesn't mind experimenting. And so, he's a trustworthy voice. That's what I've always thought. So, uh, good guy, good chat with him. So here we are, me and my friend Aaron Bates, all the way from the states, having a bit of a chat about model planes. We're back with an international guest on this week's episode of the Flat Out RC podcast. And I tell you what, this is a guy that you know I, I've had. Corresponded with for, for over oh, a number of years now but it's great to have him on the line and that is Aaron Bates thanks for joining me
1: how we doing glad to be here well Aaron some people
0: probably would know who you are anybody that's uh was into 3d hobby shop aeroplanes would probably know who you are and we'll get a bit more into that but um you, you you're sitting in Pennsylvania over in the US but we can yeah. tell by the accent that you're actually an Aussie so tell us the Aaron Bates story you know what are you doing in the US and uh Know where you're originally from?
1: Aaron Bay's story. Well, um, I'm in the U.S. am in the U.S. because I married an American, and uh, she wanted to live up here close to her family and not mine. So, I won't take it personally. <laughs> um, but uh, radio control for me started. Um, so, dad was always into airplanes, and and he got uh, you know chuckies and stuff in my hands whenever I was capable. Um, he ponied up for my first radio control plane when I was six and just been lifestyle era modeling ever since, I guess. So, you yeah. from is it near Dubbo you from, or where are you? Yeah, so from? uh, my family's originally from Central Coast, Sydney Central Coast. Um, and then we moved out to Dubbo when I was four. So, after a couple of years of being on Dubbo, um, dad Modi's well, he. He he mowed his strip almost first first thing. But um you know, I was flying a couple of years after we moved out. But um yeah, we we moved out to Dubbo and Dad and a guy by the name of David Harburn started the Dubbo Club. Um and so they, they they literally start they started that. And he was flying in Dubbo and Narramine. Um, so yeah, that's where it all started. He built me a thing called a cowboy there was two channels but this was after so he used to sit sit me on his lap and I'd steer his trident and um I'd steer his trident around and then I got to loop in his trident and stuff and then he finally said that I should have my own airplane to stop breaking his <laughs> that's a good idea
0: the um and so yeah so so then your progression what was your, pro- was your progression like you know it sounds like that your dad was pretty keen into it were you sort of out there as much as you can flying
1: yeah well we were lifestyle modelers, really so we'd build whenever we're not flying we're building and then uh we just try it all you know like the best part of this hobby is just how diverse it is so so we just had a thing about try all the things and so it was originally sport flying with um with the various trainers and stuff for me i there was a period there where i lost my trainer and then I was just hanging uh, around on his – he had this sports-scale Cessna. So I beat the heck out of the Cessna for a while, and then he made me another – he built me a um, a Stormer, but he flattened the wing and made it a turtle deck. So it was actually pretty pretty sporty. Um, so I had that. I had the thing called the Glint 25L, which is a remarkable plane, really, because it was more of a little pattern plane than anything. But um, and that was pretty much what started the aerobatics, cause, because the really nice thing about the, the Dubbo Club, when we we're going up through my teenage years, was um, the Dubbo Club itself was into anything and everything, so it was just so awesome, because we had like old guys like Cole Kimpton, and Mervin Bell, if anybody knows Merv Bell, um, who were crazy into control line flying, so we did control line flying with combat and speed, and everything else. And then we had some guys into free flight. Merv Bell was into free flight. Terry, uh, Terry, Terry Scolari was into just about everything. And he, um, so yeah, we, 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 we tried it all. We tried the, um, aerobatics because we also had Mick Ryan, um, who was heavy into pattern and he got up through masters and F3A. So, so Mick was the one that pretty much taught, took, started me on pattern and and aerobatics in general um then we went to some glider competitions and flew with albatrosses and profits and so forth and yeah try it all mate try it all it's all it's all worth doing it's all fun
0: some classic names there the albatross actually a friend of mine just said he's got a couple of albatross for sale and i thought oh i built one many years ago but uh, yep. maybe he might get one off him but just to keep it there and build it when I'm older or something. It's a nostalgic sort of
1: project. There was this one flight there where I was maxing out a, a, a glider flight in you know, a club contest, and I was just about to max out, but I was far too high with, um, with, with with Dad's profit. So I just pointed the nose like straight down, and he was yelling at me as I was just pointing this <laughs> thing straight at the deck with the air brakes out. But uh, managed to get down in time.
0: Yeah, waiting for the wings to fold.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I've seen that before. Well, the, uh, yeah. So then, you know, let's say fast forward into sort of your teenage years, you know, what did that look like then? Were you still continuing with the aerobatics? Was that your main focus or were you still be a bit of a generalist?
1: Uh, I, w- I was just doing anything and everything. Um, I even had a pylon racer. A um, a I. I uh, from my first job, I, I saved up and bought a, a Bolly Viper and uh, put the OS11 CX CZ in it. Um, it was an awesome little awesome little airplane. Um, so yeah, I was flying pylon and stuff. The club also really enjoyed playing in the Interclub event, which which was held at uh, Lithgow, not Lithgow. Um, I forget the name of the town. Um, but there was an interclub event where it was like a little bit of everything. There was there was a scale event and there's a pylon event, and you'd enter people into the various events, and then you'd uh, be like a little championship thing. The closest thing to it's probably the uh, the um, the Hunter Valley Championships. That's also a really cool event if you just want to see a bit of everything. Yeah. Okay.
0: And the um. So then I I know you as an aerobatics guy. Yeah, that's what. That, yep. and it seems like that as time progresses, sort of got quite involved in say the three D flying scene. Now, oh, by the way, that, that era when you were in your team, were you talking about the the nineties here or eighties? What what was yeah. that era? Which era was it? Yeah, the uh,
1: late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. So I, I graduated high high school in ninety four. So okay, so you eighty eight to ninety four kind of thing. Yep. So you about three mm-hmm. years older than me. It's so younger than
0: me. Sorry. Um. Okay. <laughs> so, so then. You finish okay. This is a question I often have to ask guys: Is you turn eighteen and whatever? Did did you go off the hobby at all, or did you always has it always been there?
1: Um, well, the hobby's always been there in some degree, but I definitely did a little bit less during uh, college and my first job. So I moved to college, I moved to Sydney to go to um, to graphic design school, and then. Um, but even then, I was designing and building a a glider, a two meter glider, um, in that one little bedroom that I had, and and that was one thing that I got used to was was building on a board that I could just prop up against the wall. So so if you glue your jigs and everything to the board, then you can just pick the jig, pick the board up and just sit it against the wall. So I built a two meter glider that way when I moved to. Um, when I entered the workforce, I was building a pylon racer in the office. I had bolts of dust all over the office. So so I definitely wasn't flying as much, but, you know, the hobby's always the hobby's always been there. Yeah. What about the 3D flying thing? How did you get into that? The 3D flying thing happened uh, after I um, moved up to the States. So I moved up to the States about 18 years ago, um, and then I was – dabbling with it dabbling with the hobby here and there and then i i started doing reviews for rc groups um and then i noticed that that there wasn't a lot of aerobatic and 3d skill in the reviewer pool so i was like well there's a lot of cool cool airplanes to fly if i can be the go-to reviewer for 3d stuff so so that's when i started practicing hard in the simulator and I got a couple of reviews. I reviewed the the Precision Aerobatics uh, Ultimate for, for for RC Groups, a um, couple other things. And then it was also at that time that I started my own podcast that lasted for all of five minutes. Um, but I was doing a podcast thing and doing reviews. And then that's when I went to sef in Georgia, which is a massive electric event. And that's when I met... Uh, Ben from Three D Hobby Shop, and that's pretty much how yeah, how that all started.
0: I know you as you know the guy that designed a lot of the schemes on the Three D Hobby Shop planes, and so
1: yeah.
0: So obviously, you'd been you know, paying your dues in a kind of way in the hobby by doing the reviews and that kind of stuff. Because, you know, a lot of people think that it's all licks yeah. and glamour when you get to do reviews, but there's actually a fair bit of work involved oh, in, no. in, a in, of work in in doing it. Not, not only just building the model, but then flying it and then writing the article kind of thing. Um, you know, the flying stuff's the the, the fun stuff. but uh, And so... Yep. Uh, Obviously, you know you had a graphic design background, that kind of stuff. And you know, at what stage did you enter into the three D hobby shop sort of realm? Was it very in the early days, or you know, a bit after that?
1: No, it was it was about uh, two thousand and seven or so, I, I guess. But, uh, but a but a bit of my shtick for the for the graphic stuff has always been to to try and help small businesses. So so it's pretty common that that small small businesses are started by a bloke that's trying to do it all and and a lot of this time it's a it's a technical expertise and they're not very good at doing graphics or making logos and stuff so so even back before i left australia i was helping out bolly props and i looked after bolly's web website and redid his logo and did and did a bunch of stuff for bolly but then when i moved up and and started spending time with uh with aerobatics and the 3D guys, I was hanging out on NASA groups forum, spending a lot of time with Ben and talking to Ben a bunch. And then I helped him out with some graphics, uh, redid his webpage and then ended up doing some schemes for him and pretty much started the ball rolling for, for all the rest of it. And I was doing his schemes for, for like eight, for eight years or something.
0: It's interesting how um, people that really immerse themselves in the scene and, and really get involved often opportunities come up for them in other ways in, in the hobby, you know, like, um, you know, yeah. the activity that you showed in RC groups and the interest and all that kind of stuff, you know, spawns other opportunities. and, and-
1: Yeah. Well, 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 opportunities aside, side, it's still all about having fun. So, so I just go from thing to thing tr- trying to have the most amount of fun that I can. And, and one thing is, 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 is like, as a graphic designer, the, the first time that you see see an ad that, that you designed in in a in a magazine is a really fun moment. The the first time that you see a, a web page that you built, a fun moment. The first time that you see your full your full page ad, and similarly, it was like I can design a scheme and then they can produce this scheme and then I can see this thing being being built and sold and out on the flying field. So that was a pretty exciting time to to get that done. My first color scheme. Let's talk about that design process because I, I think, you know,
0: I've dabbled in graphic design. I run a marketing business and all that kind of stuff and had employed graphic designers or whatever. And with graphic design, I always say that most of the time we're working on a flat plane. It's a sheet of paper kind of thing. Um, but when it comes to designing a scheme on a model aircraft, you have to think a little bit differently because it's almost like a 3D design now that you're working on because, you know, you can wrap around things and curve surfaces yeah. and all this kind of stuff. So when it comes to designing the schemes, what is the process that you take?
1: Well, admittedly, for most schemes, they all start two-dimensional. So so for most schemes, and you can pretty much see it in a scheme when the designers pretty much left the top of the aeroplane to do whatever. So what it used to be is the side of the aeroplane to look fantastic and then you'd see the scheme wrap around and, there wasn't much love given to the top. Like they just carry all the shapes over until they hit the middle and that's that. Um, but that was pretty much the way that I worked as well up until things like, um, the first time that I really fussed around with the top of the airplane was the Velox, um, because I introduced a, um, a a racing stripe kind, kind of look to it. But, um, and then started putting a lot more more attention into the top of things and since then everybody's followed suit and now we get a lot more interesting tops of airplanes now so i'll i'll try and claim that i started that but we'll see what happens
0: for the 3d hobby shop fans out there what are some of the the the, the schemes that you designed
1: um schemes that i've designed um probably, uh, probably the most famous schemes now would be the heavy metal. That 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 one stands out. It's the big MXS from from the Extreme Flight. It's got a yellow checkered tail. It's 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 a printed scheme, and I put um, weathering detail all over, it, panel detail all over. it. So it's a nice blend of warbird look with a with an aerobatic flavor. Um, there's also the Uh, The Demonstrator, which is also a printed scheme. But before that, it would be schemes like the 60-inch Velox, which is a pretty dynamic thing. Um, Actually, I should have mentioned the most famous one, which is probably the the AJ Slick, uh, the original 104-inch Slick with the big stars on the wings. Yeah. That's probably the most famous of the schemes that I've done. The most ripped off. It has been copied plenty of times. <laughs> I was about to say that.
0: I was about to say that the amount of times those stars have been ripped off by other manufacturers is amazing. I've got one sitting in my trailer. Yeah. I've got a 104 next to what I think is your you know the 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 most beautiful scheme that I've ever seen a model aeroplane, which is the 3D Hobby Shop 108 Extra or the 75 inch extra, the smaller, smaller version. Was there another version as well, smaller than that? Can't remember. But um but, no, the smallest that that got was sixty inches. Yeah, yeah. So there's was the inch, fifty-seven. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, that is just an absolutely striking scheme. That you know, I was saying to you earlier off air that when when Ben Fisher sent me the uh, the prototype photos, I just fell in love with that 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 model, and I knew I had to have one, and so I made sure that when I bought some, in, I kept a couple for me because I was just you know, it was just a classic scheme, but yep. that slick scheme, man those stars, it's all your fault that everybody started putting stars on the planes after that one. After <laughs> there was a lot one. of stars after that. Yeah, yeah. I was, actually, I was talking to a, a guy in China, and um manufacturer oh, many years ago, and I said to him, um, why are you copying other people's schemes, you know, the stars and all that kind of stuff? And he said to me, quite innocently, he said, well, that's what people like. I said, yeah, but... Yeah. They don't like it when you copy somebody else. You should do your own thing. He said, "Okay, okay, I won't do that again." Literally, it was that innocent <laughs> that he just thought that people like that, so we just copy that scheme. They like that airplane, so we just copy the scheme. I'm thinking, oh, that was interesting."
1: Well, the the well, in terms of copying, the most amazing copy that I've seen was was when we did the 3D hobby shop and extreme flight merger. I did a version of that scheme that was printed, and it was crazy complicated, and there was a factory in china that copied it and and somebody put in a lot of effort to copy it as close as possible and they did a pretty good job it's (laughs) it's amazing (laughs) they somehow got got all the fonts wrong but all the harder detail about all the fades and stuff that i had on it was was all there. how much
0: time would you have to spend on, on creating a design like that
1: well those printed schemes take a lot of time so that particular scheme i I like to think of it as a bit of a party trick because once you have the basic design down, all that extra detail, like as if it's out of a manga cartoon, is a little bit of a party trick because you just fill it up until it's full and then you call it done. <laughs> but um, the the harder thing is always coming up with the base design, yeah. and um, and almost without question, I always start a project a little bit nervous because because I hit a point where where my reputation was coming ahead of what i thought the next design might turn out like and I, i'd start initial sketches and they suck and they suck and they suck but then eventually something clicks and then you work with it so so one of my instructors always said that graphic design is about managing your accidents and it's about uh coming up with a with a with a flow that lets you create those accidents so i usually started with a pencil sketch and if you're sketching wildly then Random lines can fall down a little bit differently every now and then, so you rub off a line and try another line, and eventually an accident comes along and you think, well, that actually looks pretty good, and then you tweak it, and you tweak it here and there, and then it's a process of refinement until you come up with something. But definitely the hardest scheme that i ever come up with were the, were the scale warbirds for aces high for a very extreme flight, the right. and the wulf and the P-47. They took months, months and months. That's they you did
0: an amazing job on those. That was just um I've seen seen some of them close like, up and they're just absolutely phenomenal the detail that goes into it. Uh, you know, well, you said Yeah, tassel. because
1: you Yeah, st- because the the biggest thing with those was was that I was um because I also did a little bit of scale back in Dubbo and stuff and um certainly Mick, Mick, Ryan. so Mick Ryan's to blame for both both my scale interest and the pattern interest. But uh, Mick was always on about the the absolute detail of things. And and one of the things that I got into was was that if you do a quick search for color schemes on warbirds on the internet, you actually come up with color plates that have been created by by um, by by plastic model kit manufacturers and stuff. And and a lot of the time they're not actually accurate. Whereas for the Focke-Wulf, and that I, I actually took the time to 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 try and find the photos of an exact aeroplane, and then replicate what I could see on the exact aeroplane, and nothing else. And that includes the dirt, that includes the paint, and everything else. So 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 for example, on the uh, was it on the P47, there's a scheme that you can find if you do an internet search called Genie, and on all the color plates that. That you might find there's this, well there's a nose art of the sexy lady on the side of the nose, but there's the text genie written over it. But none of the photos that I could see of the actual airplane had had the word genie written on it. So I didn't put genie on it. Hmm. So things like that. And and then you see various models of genie out there and genie's written on. It. It's like, well, it looks nice, but I can't say that I've ever seen that stamped on it. So. Yeah. To, to me, from looking from the outside, you, you seem to be a very methodical
0: person. When when whatever you do, you seem to be quite methodical, and you know, having listened to you on other podcasts and things like that over the years, um, you know, in videos, I'm and all more that.
1: passionate than than methodical. So so whatever I'm doing is coming out of passion than than method. <laughs> well, it it,
0: it, it well, I've said this before that there are some people that when they talk and give you advice. You know they know what they're talking about, and I put you in that category. You know some of the stuff that I've heard you talk well, about you. and whatever. Um, so you know trustworthy, um, really in, in your advice. I think um, you now with your, you, you've actually designed schemes for other other brands as well. What are some of the other other designs that people may be aware of that you've, you've developed?
1: Um, well, the the other manufacturers would would be most notably FMS. Um, so I designed the scheme on the Super Easy, which is a trainer. That I love to thrash out the front yard. It's just such a fun airplane. The super easy. So they just handed me a white airplane, and I I named it for them and made a logo and put put the scheme on it. And then there was also a jet called the Super Scorpion, which I think might be a bit of a clone of someone else's Super Scorpion, but I put the FMS scheme on theirs. Um, Is that the red one? And then there's a, yeah, the red one. And then there's always scheme, schemes in the works. I owe, I owe a couple of schemes to a, a couple of people as it is. Um, but one thing that I'm really looking forward to is um, I might have the chance to update the scheme on a full-scale airplane this winter. So really looking forward to that.
0: There's a, there's a guy that I know, shout out to Ray Younger up in Darwin, and uh, he, he, no. he dabbles with... Um, designing schemes and stuff and um through our friend ito seger we got the opportunity to do some schemes for yeah. the foxbat aircraft the aeropract uh, the yeah. light sport aircraft and uh i think that yeah that's a great crossover in getting into full size um into full size work yeah. there's a guy in europe is it uh is it marco murko Pica, um, he does yeah. some nice schemes as well but murko
1: um, yeah. well well Merco is the Moco's the benchmark. So Moko's done done all the really famous, all the famous schemes, like um, the current extra that's been flown with the blue and the purple. He did the scheme for um, the RC Group's owner. Um, that's right. Get his name off the top of my head. Um, but, yeah, Moko's done done all the big ones. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a really tough act to follow because he's really good at it. He is. No, he's, he's very,
0: very good. Now, actually, there's a question I'm going to ask you. So we often talk about uh, schemes on especially aerobatic planes that you, you're throwing around the sky. Um, there's a lot of talk about you know, visibility of the scheme and that kind of stuff. When you're designing these schemes for aerobatic planes, are you keeping that in mind? That you want absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Because it's, because it's also – so also because um, – we try to we we try to satisfy as many people as possible. So so there's always the chance that if you're doing a, a giant scale thing that that it might be used in iMac and then you're up against all the perceptions of what people think. It isn't about what actually works. It's it's about what people think works for judging. So so things like a uh, lot of span wise lines to to help the judges. See sight sight the line of the aircraft so um so depending on the task it'll be based on um as to that kind of thing and 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 when asking as to what the client wants i would actually start off with do you want a competition scheme or do you just want to have someone fall in love with it because they're two very different things really well one thing i do
0: like though is um Oh, I've got this philosophy. I don't know whether I'm correct, but I like think I am. Is that when we 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 look at colours, and you know, people say, "Oh, it's a nice fluorescent colour; it's going to be easy to see in the sky." And I always think that. Well, you get out, get out there on an overcast day, and all the colours just end up looking grey. Like it's just you get up in the air. It's like I can't really see. Yeah.
1: But what I like is seeing that big contrast of colours. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the well, the contrast is 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 where the visibility comes out because what a lot of people don't realise is that if they use a lot of mid tones, when the airplane starts moving, all those mid tones just mash together and you can't see it. So if you have to so 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 if you play with a with a very contrasting color, then you'll get a better chance of um, seeing what the airplane's doing. Well,
0: I see use the underside of the wings as an example where you'd have a big black yep. strip. And Absolutely, have a, the posing white strip, and then you go, "Yep, I can see that in any any conditions, and that's what I look for." So, uh, yeah, yeah uh, thanks for doing that. I really enjoy that that the part aspect of. The yeah, pose. that's what I like what...
1: about the underside, though. Is is on top, I usually get get to do something fairly bright and complicated, but the bottom is is where I get to flex the flexor, just a real simple design with a little bit of flair, and it's and, and it's actually a nice change of speed to 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 pimping out the top of it.
0: Yeah. And no doubt you'd have to be keeping in mind the actual manufacturing process of how they can actually make these schemes. Now the printed yeah, schemes absolutely. are a little bit different. But um I did speak to them. it manual- also changes
1: everything. Yeah. yeah.
0: I did speak to the manufacturer in um in China about the printed schemes and he said, Oh yeah, it doesn't yeah. like he doesn't like doing them. This <laughs> so is extra work and it's just hard. But,
1: um- yeah, the issue with the printed schemes also um, it's it's also to do with the parts. They're also a nightmare to match the paint. Uh, um because because regardless as to how many times you send it through the printer, it isn't a solid colour, so you end up with a slight texture that changes the hue of how it looks in the sun versus how it looks in the workshop because you get people taking it out of the box in the workshop and it looks terrible, but if you take it out in the sun, the paint matches went in the sun, so it's like, what do you do? Um, all that kind of stuff. The Remember
0: the 3D Hobby Shop was at the 91... 91- Edge or ninety one or ninety two edge the red one. There were two schemes. There was a white one and a red scheme. Um, yep. And there was the a big white scheme and six- the red scheme. Yep. Yeah. The the that red scheme in photos I never was. It was was nice, but it was one of those schemes that when you saw it in real life, you just thought, "Oh, this is just the best." It really was one of those things that came mm. to life when you saw it in um in real life rather than uh than off a photo. So yeah, I was a Yeah, it was definitely one of my favorite skins. Yeah, one of my favorite skins. It's good plane, and of course that merged into the um into the demonstrator, didn't it?
1: Yeah. So the demonstrator was fun because I I started with a clean slate and I just did what I wanted to see, and it was greenlit. They printed it, even with all the even with all the inside jokes all over it. So what inside jokes? Like it has the big six. Well, it has a six printed on the print printed on the wing and the. Um, Printed on the wing and the rear fuselage. Well, six is the atomic weight of carbon, uh, <laughs> and so it was full of carbon
0: fiber. You, you know. So, uh, it, yeah. That demonstrator scheme, I think, it was it divided people. There were some people that loved it, and some people that didn't didn't like it. I've got a number of friends that think it's just the best scheme ever designed in the world, and of course they rushed out and bought them uh, when they were available. So
1: that was yeah, that, that was, was a phase. Fun. That was a phase where I really enjoyed just solid 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 colors on the tail so i could just put a solid color on the tail do something else somewhere else that makes like it look looks like it fits that's real nice but then i also put in the put in the red carbon pattern so it was so it's a nightmare to to match your paint and if you ever break it and if you ever puncture it it is a nightmare but um I'm very happy with that airplane. <laughs> well, I think it, well, you know, as those
0: those models those, at that era when there was that merger between 3D Hobby Shop and Extreme Flight, that, those schemes were really out there to demonstrate what could what the new capabilities could be. And I think yeah. that those schemes did that and really made people stand up and got attention for the brand. You know, and we've seen them sort of continue on uh, a fair bit. I don't think they' I don't think we've seen many new. Um, printed off. No, have seen the laser no they've kind of no they've
1: generally moved away from it because because like like you mentioned earlier there's there's a whole bunch of knock-on problems particularly around have because they have to clear it they have to do everything else um but there are some schemes that i that are actually designed to be covered traditionally but they ended up printing it for some reason that that i don't understand like there's the there's the laser the 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 red white and blue laser um, yeah. so I designed that to be to be produced in in ultra coat trim yeah. but they printed it for some reason so yeah that could have been done yeah, yeah so, so that's about my prank, grade right? but, yeah. but I was very happy with that scheme too yeah. um, but the last one that I did was also an ultra coat scheme which is the um, the Raven, the Turbo Raven. Oh, okay. To Cody
0: Wychuk. Okay. So there's another side to that we've seen with your aero modeling is that is what I call the experimental side, especially around some of these um, aerobatic models. Now, one of the the first model that comes to mind is the the Super Honey Badger. Now, this was something yeah. that I think you gave it. You came up with the name, didn't you? But um, tell tell everybody yeah. about what this this model, the Super Honey Badger, was all about.
1: Yeah, well, the Super Honey Badger um, was about the King 50. So the the story of the Honey Badger started with the King 50, which is a competition which is just about impressing people. And I'm not that good a pilot, so I wasn't going to win based on my flying merit, so I had to do something else. So it was all about coming up with other ideas for that competition that would be fun, be amusing, at least, you know, something or other. So the first year I actually started out with some air horns. So I filled the fuselage with air horns, but the air horn wasn't loud enough. So it really wasn't impressive enough. Like the airplane just squeaked, like I, like I come up to hover and it just squeaked. (laughs) (laughs) The horn just wasn't powerful enough. (laughs) But then the second year I, I tried to build in some, I tried to, um, a, a flagpole that was engineered so that I could fly rolling Harriers while flying a flag um, and then after that I had the idea to try and improve the yaw so one of the things that RJ Gritter did in the first King 50 was he mounted rockets to his wingtips so that he could do a pinwheel on a downline mm. and so from that I I was like well, well if you think about an aerobatic plane the the most laziest axis is is the yaw axis. So there's a lot of fun to be had if we can get the yaw axis as fun as the other axis. So I started out with air brakes, and while the air brakes on each wingtip turned out to be a big disappointment and a hell of a lot of effort for very for a very low result, it was while I was building those 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 that I that I was like, why don't I just put a tail rotor in this thing? So the year after that, I put a tail rotor in it, and that's the Super Honey Badger. So you basically grabbed – it was it was an extra, wasn't it? A 3D Hobby Shop
0: 86-inch extra or yep. something like that, wasn't it? Yeah. So,
1: so that's where the Honey Badger come from because it was an extra SHP, so I changed that to the extra SHB Super Honey Badger. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, oh, see, get it, get it? Uh, yeah, see, oh, you've you,
0: you got, you got a weird sense of humour, Aaron. I can tell you that. But the, <laughs> oh, I do. Uh, the, but then you – and so, yeah, for anybody that – you can look it up on the internet. If you look up through thrust Super Honey Badger, you'll probably find it. But, yeah, you put a, a helicopter tail rotor blade that sort of sat in the middle of the fuselage. It's literally like You had to rebuild yeah. the rear of the, the plane, obviously. And um, yeah. you put that in there. Now, was it fixed pitch or could you adjust the pitch of that tail rotor? How, how, did, oh, no, how it did it activate? Did, yeah,
1: so, so the whole thing is once you put the tail rotor in, you need to remove the surface area so that it can – so that the surface area is not slowing it down when it's rotating. So the so the initial move was to cut the tail off with a Dremel, and then I got two carbon booms, and then I recreated the structure of the all the important moments of the uh, stab mount, the fin mount. All the all the distances are all the same as the stock, except it's mounted on these two booms, and then I got a the largest tail unit of a of a helicopter that I could find at the time which was a, a t-rex 800 tail unit so it's got a t-rex 800 tail through a torque tube with the with the rotor with the largest rotor tail rotor blades that I could find which were 140 millimeters blades so it's like a so it's basically a 16 inch prop um, fed fed off a torque tube and then it had a um, 4S, 4S electric power and then I had to mess around with the with the main engine for it because whenever you're moving the, whenever you're rotating the plane sideways, the main engine's not getting any airflow so I overheated and popped a couple of engines so I oh. popped a brand new uh, DA-70 um, oh, really? trying to practice with it
0: mm. Well the, you ended up uh, being on a flight
1: test video with that one
0: um, I'm looking at the yep. website now, man, I you, what, you put a lot of effort into that plane. How long did it take you to put that together?
1: Um, I a lot less time than the air brakes the year before. <laughs> the air brakes was, was the hardest modification by far. But but the thing about the tail unit too, so, so I built the tail unit and then I flew it for that year. And then in – so in the same year that I had it, it – I lost it. So I was, so I was setting up the night before and I accidentally put in the wing tube of a little 42 inch slick and the wing tube of the 40, 42 inch slick is not enough strength for the stab. And I was in a downline and I pulled out and it ripped the stab off it. And it just went in like, like a lawn dart. And I was just, I was livid. I that was probably the most depressing thing that I've ever seen in my RC career. But, but, but I went over to it, and the the airplane hit so hard that the that the leading edge to the wing tube of, of the wing was just squashed flat. Um, but what was sticking out of the ground was the tail unit. So all the carbon tubes and and the stab and everything, the tail rotor. Was perfectly fine, not a mark on it. So I destroyed the front of the plane. So I ripped it out of the plane, cut the tail off another one, glued it in, and it's actually on revision two. Okay. And and then it's it's revision two, which is in the the flight test video. But the flight That's test right. video was super fun because I got to fly it with uh, Eric Monroe and that, and um, he's flying around me and he's chasing me while I'm doing the the pirate
0: flips up high and stuff, and it's really fun. Yeah. Well, what was it like shooting with those guys at flight test? Because, you know, they've been, you know, I, I, I consider them to be the sort of the number one YouTube channel for, for aero modelling, but um, are they haven't a lot of fun yeah. out there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so, so I have to give it to to the flight test guys because I think that and they deserve a whole bunch of credit because they've found a whole new funnel for our hobby that just wasn't there and i and i think that everybody can recognize that our hobby was was has been experiencing a bit of a dip in traditional club turnout and so forth and it's and it and it's been a real struggle but but the flight test guys they've found a new funnel to find people and what i like about it is because they're playing around with cheap 3 dollar foamies that all these people are just willing to get in and hack stuff up and have fun and they're not worried about crashing a model and all this other stuff. Like if like if you learn in the traditional way, you have some built-up balsa trainer that you're worried about crashing it and everything else, whereas the flight test guys, any, like anybody that starts with the flight test stuff, you're not going to be worried about breaking your plane. You're just going to be worried about having fun, and that's just awesome, and that's all those guys are about is just having fun, and a lot of love for that.
0: Yeah, it's, I think you're right. You know, the, the emphasis on fun is, is definitely there because everything that they do is just about yeah. doing some crazy stuff and, you know, experimenting with things <laughs> and and seeing how they go. And, um, and I think that's what gets yeah. the audience. On a YouTube perspective, it's doing something different. It's always those out-of-the-ordinary sort of channels that get, get the attention.
1: You know, I- yeah, the only thing that I could say bad about them is that they really haven't taught people about safety. And that's that was the most scary thing about turning up the flight test the first time was, so you turn up the flight test and you have literally a thousand people that are just crazy eager and just want to have fun, but they haven't learned any lesson about flight line safety. They don't know what a pilot station is and it's, there's just no rules. And when I was doing the, 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 the honey badger demo, you have literally all these people lined up, Right on the strip, and you're ripping this petrol-powered plane down the strip, and and all these people are just moving in, and mm. you don't have room to land. So literally, when I was landing, I was like, "Can you give me some room?" <laughs> yeah. It's it's actually it's an interesting observation
0: because I've seen that as well. Um, predominantly park flyers that sort of taught themselves and went to the local park to fly, and mm-hmm. then you take them into a, a forum where there's lots of other people flying model planes. They just some people can organically sort of work it out that, oh, you know, we've got to coordinate ourselves here. But yeah. there's been, you know, there's a club here in Melbourne that I know of that um sort of emerged out of park flyers and they took that ethos to a club environment and you got people taking yeah. off in different directions and you, you name it, it just mayhem yeah. ensues. Um, but as you know, yeah. when you go to that club environment, they drum it into you. You know, we're going to fly left-hand or right-hand circuits if there's more than one plane in the air and you're going to stand in the flight box and... You know call out your maneuvers on the ground, you know that kind of thing
1: yeah yeah, humans are funny because because obviously the ideal thing is somewhere in the middle and it's like how do you find that somewhere in the middle and the the closest thing that I've seen is like a like a three d huck fest or or whatever where there's generally no rules where people were generally brought up in a club environment where they're doing what they want. so that's that's a pretty good strike of the balance. but it's pretty funny. But 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 actually the funniest thing about the 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 flight test event is this was before they figured out where to where to like where to find the waterproof foam. So they had a couple of raining days and all of these foam planes are literally <laughs> falling apart in the sky because because they're wet. So you have these <laughs> these planes that have lost an elevator because the horns come out of the thing and it's just like gone straight through a tent.
0: Oh, <laughs> it's
1: hilarious.
0: You've been to Joe Nile, obviously, as well, haven't you? And mm-hmm. what's that experience mm-hmm. like? Because from you know, over here, looking at the Joe Nile experience, it just looks phenomenal. But uh, what is it really Yeah, like? Joe,
1: Nile is, Joe Nile is amazing. Um, um, out of all the events, Seth and Joe Nile, those those, those flying fields are, are, are just astounding. Um, but Joe Nile in particular is really cool because you have – all these, all these, all these different areas of the hobby co- 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 coexisting in the same place generally, and we're all having fun. The only thing about Joe Noll is it's so big that, that you really need a golf cart or some kind of bike or something rather really to get around on it. Mm.
0: Well, the, who are some of the uh, the pilots you always loved watching fly?
1: Um, well, all the big names that there's plenty of YouTube hits on, um, I always enjoyed hanging out with, uh, you know, RJ Gritter and Joe Smith when he was, back when he was flying. Um, obviously, Jace is just astounding these days. Um, what that kid can do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, yeah, it's, it's amazing. But but then there's all the legends like, uh, you know, you you meet with Peter Goldsmith and that, and they're up there flying their circle flyers and stuff. Um, yeah, so it's a, but, but but more recently, um, I was at an event this year um, and this kid, Jake Arnold, was thrown down. And that's the most impressive 3D flying that I've seen.
0: Really? I haven't heard Jake Arnold.
1: That kid's amazing. That, that kid's amazing. And what I really liked was that, um, so what happened in 3D was uh, Daniel Holman, and he deserves a lot of credit because when he hit the scene, he his like like his flying was very different, very different. And and Daniel started winning winning some events and then and then Jace started into it and it it was it was pretty clear that um that Jace was using Daniel as inspiration hmm. because Jace's current current flying 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 style is kinda like Daniel Holman's but with with a whole bunch of extra practice like Nobody can, can can take away from Jace as to what he can do, but it's pretty clear that 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 style was pretty much set in set in its way from Daniel Holman, but um, but uh, but Jake Arnold's um, starting to have some maneuver transitions that I hadn't seen before, and some some really exciting transitions. Like like probably my favorite thing that he that he did of the weekend was a straight down rifle roll blistering fast like 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 these kids can do but but then when he hit the middle of the field he came off the throttle and and just let all the drag of the ailerons just slow slow the plane down and it ends up in a slow rolling harrier it's beautiful
0: yeah it's it's amazing isn't it when you when you've been around that 3d scene which really emerged through you know the two early to the 2000s then of course you know yep. into you know through 2015 16 whatever. you see that transition in in the way people fly and uh, people just keep on progressing though so like, like you said I, Dan Holman to me was a phenomenal precise aerobatic flyer uh, yeah. I thought Joe Smith was a great show pilot you know that was always impressive to see him getting down low on that kind of stuff but jace grabbed the dan holman flying then put it on steroids and just made it more and more aggressive which was you know and precise like the precision the guy's got is phenomenal but it's the aggressiveness that sort of kept on going and now what we're seeing is this next generation of young 3d that's being inspired by uh by jace so you know, I've been to China a few times to an aerobatic comp, and they all want to fly like Jace. The, like to the point yeah. where all they do is just rifle rolls and think that's what Jace does all the time, which yeah. he doesn't. Yeah. But uh, so what we're going to what we see seeing is just this keep on pushing of the boundaries. But do you think that the development in airframes has assisted that as well? You know, with the gear uh, that we've got is allowing us to you know overpower them, make them pl- models a bit lighter, get better power to weight ratios, and make them more aggressive.
1: For sure, you have to. You have to say yes to that, um, particularly. So, so with the with Jace's style of flying, the the airframes were in particular designed towards that kind of aggression. So, so um, you end up with an airframe where the size of the ailerons to the wings to and the ratio of the wings to the fuselage is all based on how quick a roll you can get out of it, and um, so that's shape, shaped a lot of that, but, but there's no denying that the airframes have gotten just miles better. Um, but the only thing that I think that I wish that we'd trend a little bit back towards is, is a wider gamut of the flight envelope and then slowing things down again. So, so, there's, so there's all the, like if you look at videos of Jace's most recent flights astounding but so fast it's it's just crazy but there's just as much um new things to play with with the slow end of the thing so 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 i know for example that joe smith when he when he hung up the towel was working on some maneuvers that we hadn't seen before that were slow low 3d and and i regret that he that he didn't manage to get get those seen the before he he hung his hat Mm. because it was things like there was a – he was working on a slow roll, rolling harrier. So it was like a one-turn rolling circle, but it was at slow harrier speed. Gee, that's mighty slow then. And it's a case of nobody's doing that. Mm. Nobody's doing it. Jace isn't doing that. Nobody's doing it. And I throw that gauntlet down. I'd, I, I want to see that manoeuvre. Maybe Joe can come out of retirement and do it for us. Mm. But uh, ultra-slow, slow-roll rolling circle at at, at slow Harrier speed. That'd be really something to say. Well, it, it's interesting.
0: I think that uh, my gut feel is that we are going to see some of the slower stuff come back. And it, it's interesting... I was talking. I had um, Sasha Chaconi from Italy on 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 the podcast, yeah. and he's you know one of the top European you know freestyle aerobatic pilots and IMAC pilots and whatever. And he was talking about the difference in 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 between the European style and the American style. Um, that the European style is where they fly to the music. Where he thinks now the US style is more just smack down flights, and but that's getting the attention. If you go to the US and you go to a competition yeah. and you don't know, smack it down and you're flying aggressively. He says you're not going to win. They're going to pick that all the time because it just wows the crowd. But I think what will happen over time in that competitive scene is, okay, it's been done to death now. We'd like something a bit of light and shade in the flight, and that's something that I always look for when I'm judging aerobatics. Is that light and shade? And when we were in China, um, judging the the the, um, the 3D, sh- uh, you know, the the CTS, the China Top Show 3D event over there,
1: yeah.
0: we would look at the flights, and and they all wanted to be jays. And literally, they would just be flying f- flat out because they thought Jays did all the time, which I don't think he does. It's just that impression that when he's flying aggressively, it's really ultra aggressive. But they were trying to do that. And one of the dads, you know. The, Listen to his the, end.
1: It's it's open the whole time.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But one <laughs> of the one of the dads, um, his son came second. He said, oh, we thought he did pretty, you know, I spoke to the dad. I said, look, he did really well. I said, but the problem is that while we had to mark him down a bit was that all he did was fly flat out and do rifle rolls, and his answer was a bit similar to that guy that I know who you know was copying schemes. Was but that's what people like. They like Jace, so we're flying like yeah. Jace. I said, well, Jace doesn't fly like that all the time because he knows that it gets boring before he does is the whole flight rifle rolls. And this kid could rifle roll like yeah. nothing on earth. Like this was just he was precise and he was he was spot on. And so he said, we need some slower stuff as well, you know, in it, because it's just too much. It's just like someone's yeah. shouting at you for, for yeah. four
1: minutes. Yeah. The, um, after Jay started winning stuff, we definitely got a lot less slower stuff. And I would like to see a lot, a lot more slower stuff. Um, there's no doubt about that. Uh, but outside of that, you're also tiptoeing tipped, tipped around the issues with judging. And I have long rants about the issues with judging because. Because I got a good couple of mates that, that, that after every con, like every competition, they always had complaints about what happened with the judging. And and the judging is so irregular and so messed up that regretfully, somebody's, somebody's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, somebody's reputation is as important to their scoring as what their flying is doing so 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 i don't um so Gernot brockman is an astounding pilot by all measures right but at the toc ones so there was a so one of the last tocs there was a maneuver where they they had to fly a two roll rolling eight uh but it was on 45 degrees right so if you pick up the figure eight, so it's on 40, 45 degrees. Your wings are at 45 degrees, top and bottom of the eight. Well, he flew the manoeuvre so that his wings were level, top and bottom of the eight, and other pilots flew it so their wings were at 45 degrees to the manoeuvre as described, and they all had similar scores. So one of those, one of those, that style of flying, that figure, should have been terribly scored. Hmm. but they didn't because judging is just silly and it's regretful because because there's so much skill involved in the flying that it has to come down to a, a very flawed process of judging
0: well you've raised so it, a,
1: it's true and, and it's something that i've i've spoken a lot about with with
0: friends especially in the imax scene and i've identified that the way that these competitions are judged is the biggest problem because often, you know, here in Australia, I think no doubt elsewhere in the world, in an IMAC competition um, and patent competitions, you don't have the same judges judging everybody's flight. It's the peers judging. So how do you know that that guy that's in sportsman category knows exactly what the snap roll is supposed to look like, that what is that training on on how to do it? Because there's so many different arguments about – what a snap roll should look like, for example, that you can't get this level of consistency. And it's always a complaint. There are always people saying, well, I yeah. thought I did better and whatever. And so I was talking to a mate of mine, Chris rutnut Rutto, who's involved with the IMAX scene here about this and saying, you'll never get to a decent level of judging until you have certified judges that judge everybody, which is a hard thing to do because the people just to sit there for a long time and you know concentrate. No, on well, it.
1: well, even that's flawed, to be honest, like, um, regretfully, like I said, the 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 reputation counts. Like the first time that I saw Jace, like if you watch Jace's videos of uh, the first time he went to Tucson, he should have beat Gernot. Yeah. I don't think that there's any way that you can watch those videos and watch those flights and and watch those flights objectively and come at any other way because Gernot was flying some massive 200 cc fee. those difficulty levels weren't as high and jace was jace was on point Mm. so it's just one of those super difficult problems that i don't think that there's a very good answer to so we're just gonna clumsily stumble our way through just because we like to watch the flying eventually do you know what's interesting i think that um i was talking to a, a guy on the
0: podcast that was involved in pattern flying. And what they've got now, someone's invented this like device with all these accelerometers and stuff in it that sit in your aeroplane and basically map mm. out the flight. And I said to him, do you ever think that that will come into play with judging where they're going to get that data file and be able to map it and say, oh, look, he didn't centre his, you know, there'll be certain things you won't be able to judge, but positioning of the aircraft, you'll be able to judge yep. on the on the data. And I said, uh, you know, do you think that'll ever come into it? But you know, I, 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 like I started talking about, you know, here's some ideas of make sure that yeah. everybody records everybody's flight so that you can protest and go back to the video footage or something like that to see, even though it's sometimes yeah. hard to film to see exactly what happened. But,
1: um, Yeah, know, I've thought about it a lot. And, and and the one thing that I keep thinking of maybe is that there's some kind of um final impression. There has to be a – because if you talk to people about the general impression of the flight, like, I thought that this flight was more precise than that flight. Like after all the judging's done, people, even the pilots write down their impression as to how those flights were just ordered in general. And to give more weight to that, like, or or maybe it's a competition where it's a, where it's a pilot scored thing where where to enter the event, you have to watch and score a certain amount of flights. But once again, it's based on your general impression. But then I was talking about this to Joe Smith once, who who was a very talented pilot, who for one reason or another wasn't very popular with people for one reason or another. And 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 then you end up with not being somebody's friend would affect the score. So I I, I just don't know what the answer is. But it's like if you... Watch Andrew Jetsky fly Pattern, for example. And that 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 dude's amazing. Um, and I think that he's not going to win a world champs until Tetsuo and CPLR stop line. Just because of their reputation. Yeah, definitely so it, it, it must it must influence
0: people. Like, oh here, here comes Jason yeah. let's see what he can do. No, oh, he's well, great. You know, before Well even, even takes in pattern,
1: for example. So 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 you end up with a judging thing where what you're flying will uh, will affect your scores. So if you get into flying an iMac, what you're flying will affect your score and it's got nothing to do with your flying or how well that airplane's performing. So if so if you turn up to a patent contest and your airplane isn't a, isn't a two-meter composite, you're not going to win the top class. You're not going to win that top class because the judges or – whoever know from walking around that you might be flying some cheap balsa thing and you're not going to win because it's like, I was at Seth once. And, um, so at the end of the weekend, there was just myself, Ben and, and Andrew literally in the entire Hodges hobbies field. Amazing. And, and Andrew's flying this, we'd just come out with the park fly version of the Osiris and Andrew's ripping with the Osiris and he, so this is just the, I don't know, it's it, it's 40-something inches, three-cell, 2200, 130-gram 130, 130 motor. And Andrew lands and he says, like, if if that was a world champ flight, I'd take. It. Now, it's it's not like if he was ac- actually out a world champs with a 46-inch balsa ARF that, 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 that those judges are going to score it appropriately because they just won't. And the most amazing, one of the most amazing maneuvers that I've that I've ever seen was Andrew flying from one side of Hodges to the other with that little pattern plane. It was like two feet off the deck, slow roll, just amazing. It's one just of the amazing. greatest
0: maneuvers ever, I reckon, is that slow roll yeah. that goes across the strip. It's so just, cool. You know, so much control needed to keep it straight as an yeah. arrow. It's just, yeah, it's just. Always love that. But magic- how, how good is Andrew Jeski? He's an amazing,
1: amazing pilot. Yeah, he's a legend. He's 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 one of the guys that I owe a color scheme to, actually. Cause he, Cause he asked me to he asked he asked me to put a put a scheme on his world champs plane. I haven't, I haven't managed to get around to it yet. <laughs> I'll tell you what, you've, the,
0: the world champs are coming to Australia um in 2023 yep. so you've got to have something ready for you know you should do that do something for the australian tell him i'm gonna yeah, yes. i'll put a kangaroo on it yeah that's don't that's, argue about the kangaroo that's right yeah yeah they'll love you you'll get extra points from the judge yeah, exactly. kangaroo on the model but um yeah he's a phenomenal phenomenal pilot yeah he's cool um so let's fast forward to nowadays you know what does your error modeling look like at the moment
1: my modeling at, at, at the moment is mostly whatever I can get away with at home. So I'm flying out of my front yard. There's a couple of videos that I've uploaded of flying out of the front yard. It is a large front yard. Yeah. But I but I do have a airstrip, an old abandoned airstrip along the property line. So um, that goes down very well. So I'm mostly tweaking on the honey badger. The honey badger is actually getting an upgrade. Oh, really? So I have to rebuild it. I am going to put on some edge wings and to rebuild the fuselage. I need to put a new power plant in it. The rotor motor is got a larger motor in it and is going from four cells to six cells. So that's a project that's currently in the works.
0: That's um,
1: cool. I didn't know you were still doing work on that. I thought you might have retired I, that and
0: said, uh, no, it's done. No.
1: no, well, there's still so 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 many manoeuvres that I haven't tried out yet. That is just crazy. Um, I have a Velox a, a seven inch velox that i've been tweaking i modified the rudder on it i put the sfgs of 100cc airplane on it and it's fantastic
0: how does it change it? it it was you know we started seeing the sfgs coming into the whole 3d thing and you know what's your thought on them
1: uh sfgs are wonderful so i come up with a version of SFGs that we ended up calling hatchet SFGs. So on the 42 inch, the, the last revision of the 42 inch slick for some reason, when we put it into an inverted Harrier with the stock SFGs, it was crazy unstable for some reason, but I designed a different set of SFGs that, that move the center of pressure forward. Um, they sit, sit a little forward of the uh, leading edge, but um and their higher aspect ratio, but that made it super stable and super nice. So, um, so those are the SFGs that I fly at the moment. And some people might hate them because they look like Tie Fighters or whatever. But it's just so much fun to be had because that Velox, but between the rudder modification and the SFGs, it does the tightest knife edge loop that I've seen. Hmm. It's just super crazy. It does crazy uh, pop tops and. And everything so that thing's just so much fun i'm i'm just surprised that i haven't ripped, ripped the wings off it yet yeah. um the other thing that i'm tweaking is so one of the things that i like about the 42 inch sleek even though they're not being made anymore is you can't break them in the air they're just about indestructible so so you can do so 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 the huge party trick is to do a full speed full throttle downlight blender all day long it just you, you you just can't harm it so i've been souping up a 42 inch slick i've taken to a a larger motor with a dremel so so i have a larger motor that's the same weight as the stock motor but the end result was um a 3d plane so so with a 3d plane 3d starts at about 130 watts per pound going up to most people and enjoying about 200 or 250 watts per pound my little 42 inch slick will be um, 500 watts per pound it's going to be
0: crazy <laughs> yeah. well I thought I was going crazy because I've got a 75 inch extra three upper shop the LT and uh, I've made that electric and I'm doing that 12s and I thought gee yeah. with a with a with a dual sky 40 cc motor up the front so that was that's that's an experiment for me and you know it it was just an experiment because i can't be buying i can't be bothered buying other batteries because i've already got the batteries for it so i just went stuff it i'll make it 12 years and they'll have heaps of grunt but um yeah that's just for fun really it's just mucking around yeah my
1: previous power powerful setup was a 72 inch extra so pretty much the same airplane Mm. but i was using eight cells but on the six cell prop Okay. Yeah. And that's the nicest thing about electrics is if you want more, more power, you you just put a larger prop on it and just hope that nothing pops. That's mm, true. But every time that I was landing that 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 plane, you could smell the motor. <laughs> the batteries were annoying, and it was, and it was uh, three and a half minutes from full to flat.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Amazing, isn't it? That battery life is some of those electrics when you push them hard, you don't get much, yeah, but you have a lot yeah, of fun in those three fun. minutes though.
1: Yep, but uh, a candle that burns twice as bright burns half as long. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. That 72X was a good plane. I got one of those as well with the
0: 30cc are up the front. It's awesome. Um, no,
1: well, if you have the old, the old, the LT, it's the the exact same airplane, slightly different. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, I haven't flown my LT yet. That's because we've been in lockdown here because we love a lockdown. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> yeah. that'll be ready once we once we get free in about a month and a half or something. I think based on plan. Not fun. Well, the, um, mm-hmm. you've, you've been involved in sort of that inner sanctum with some of these, uh, these major manufacturers like the 3D Hobby Shops of the World and the Extreme Flights. How much work are, the, are these brands doing into development of, of models? Because a lot of people say, oh, they're just so expensive. And, oh, they're all just made the same factory. But what have you seen behind the scenes as, as to the work that goes in, into to, to designing them and testing them?
1: Well, I have to be diplomatic, I guess. I don't know as to how, how many people I want to annoy. But um, there's less work than you think and more work than you think in other areas. So, Well, the thing about manufacturing a product is, is that you're trying to make something for somebody to get excited about that has bought a, a, a similar product recently. So if I wanted to help the manufacturers, I'd, I'd say that, are you kidding? Are you flying a plane from last year? It's just, just it's so crazy. But whereas the fact of the matter is, is sometimes you, you just have to change a little thing to change a little thing for the sake of changing a little thing so you can sell it again. And there's some changes that, um, you know, depending on the pilot might not go the right direction. So like if everybody's chasing an extreme aerobatic a plane that's rolling crazy fast and everything, then then you're probably moving away from something that's super easy to 3D and super nice to to fly. So like if like if anybody flew an old school 103 inch three 3D hobby shop extra, that thing is like putting on your favorite pair of sneakers. It it just you, you put them on and you're just comfortable it'll it'll get you doing low and low and slow 3d it's just beautiful no surprises but it just doesn't roll as fast as a modern airplane so it's a case of kid kids that want to stick bang with a with a fast roll will get their rocks off with with a fast roll but you know the, the new airplane's going to be a little bit harder to do the thing than that than the old favorite pair of sneakers kind, kind of deal like,
0: I think on that point is that the number of pilots that I've actually seen that can, you know, stick bang and you know, really throw the plane around and keep it precise is extremely minimal. So the market, I think what it is, is it's the Jace Ducier effect. that They see Jay's flight and they go, oh, look at that airframe. That is phenomenal. It's so capable, yeah. blah, blah, blah. They buy it, but they will never, ever, ever, ever be able to fly even remotely close to what he can do. And so there's this, you know, like... But it worked with Joe Smith that when I was selling 3D Hobby Shop aeroplanes here, 99% of the people that were buying 3D Hobby Shop planes were buying them because they saw Joe Smith videos and thought that if they buy that plane, it'd give them a good chance to fly like that. Now, in that era, we were flying a bit slower and that kind of stuff. And so, and the 3D Hobby Shop plane sort of reflected that in the way that they flew, but they were really like easy to fly and that kind of thing. And, and, you know, I've seen Jay's Ducea fly. Um, you know, on a video, someone who was flying a three D hobby shop uh, one hundred eight extra or seventy five inch extra, and he still looks great. Looks <laughs> really like you can't tell the difference. Yeah. But like uh, I joke always about the the amount of people. Sorry.
1: Well, all I was going to say was you end up talking about a class of pilot that is so good that they can make a janked up airplane look good. Mm. Now, I'm not speaking ill of 3D Hobby Shop or Extreme Flight, but I know for a fact that Jace Doocy can fly a janked up airplane and make it look astounding. Um, but but even with Joe Smith, he started on the big slicks, and that's what he was all about. And I was like, Joe, well, the extras are actually a, 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 a little bit nicer for what you want to do, and he eventually got around to trying an extra, and sure enough, he he, he loved the 103. Um, but the thing about what you're saying about your average punter, so so you're trying to impress the average punter, we're trying to sell them product, but everything still wound up with human nature and, and everything about this hobby still has a higher degree of how people socialise with each other. So if people want to go out to the field and and seem like, like like they're a bit of hot stuff that owns all the latest, coolest gear, then they're going to own the latest and coolest gear, even if it's not really the most ideal thing, because that's just human nature. Because I was watching a video the other day of there was a dude flying a a latest revision of a, a X-string flight slick, and, and you know, the dude's having fun, but he's doing these rifle rolls that were obviously just kicking the ailerons and then wait for the airplane to fall and then stop. Mm. He he wasn't maintaining the altitude or anything and, and and people really, really should do whatever whatever they enjoy. But but if but if that's what they enjoy, do do what you enjoy. Like if anybody's at the flight line and they're not smiling, please do something else whatever it is that makes you smile do that please do that that's actually a really
0: good point that i think i think that sentiment comes with age where you realize you know you have a bit more self-awareness that i'm not going to be able to fly like jace you know because I have to go to work and um, I can't be practicing all the time. And I don't <laughs> want to sit on the simulator every night because it gets a bit boring after a while. So I'm just going to be happy to do what I want. And then you go to the field and you do that. So for example, I've got a, 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 an expectation on myself on how I want to fly, but that is um, not up in the clouds. Like I want to be able to do rifle rolls. I'm not interested in doing rifle rolls. I'll probably never even attempt to try to do a rifle roll. Would I like to be able to do slow Harrier rolls? really well yes uh you know and so that's sort of my kind of thing and and i think that's within my <laughs> like capabilities to achieve but um i think that yeah the, the younger generations coming up is they're just all looking to jace and and anybody else that's flying that aggressive thing like yeah. the number of extreme flight lasers i joke with all my friends about this oh let me guess you've got an extreme flight laser through all the IMAX scene here in australia you know, there's more and more lasers anybody that's flying freestyle they're buying the laser and the lasers apparently a very good plane like i've Some top pilots have flown and said that it's just absolutely phenomenal. But I saw saw Martin Brandmüller and Sascha Ciccone from you know when I was in China with them flying, you know, top top European pilots here, uh, flying a Pilot RC Slick, a uh, Skywing Extra or something like that, the Extreme Flight Laser. Uh, Even I saw one of them fly a rubbishy Hobby King foamy aerobatic plane, and they looked good flying every single one of them. Every single one. Yeah. I've gone, oh my god, that was just a phenomenal flight. And I said, Then what's the plane like? And he goes, Oh, that one's not that good. You know, that funny wasn't that good. But um, you know, all the others were I couldn't I I believe that the average punter would not know the difference. They just go, Yeah, the plane's great. Because a lot of those brands are making really nice planes, you know. Um and yeah. they fly really well. So
1: Yeah, there's regretfully the the learning curve for the average punter is just regretful because because you can have people that 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 have a very capable plane that simply haven't trimmed it properly. And what will happen? So so one of the things that I really enjoy doing is that whenever anybody's lending me the transmitter or whatever is is I'll ask if I can retrim the airplane for them. And if they'll let me over the course of the the weekend or whatever trim out their coupling or whatever. Because because a lot of people are flying planes that just aren't trimmed to fly straight even, and after you trim them to fly straight, they're so much better. And I know you had an episode there with Pete Goldsmith on how to trim airplanes, and but that that's just gospel. Like like you you end up with all these people that that are like, I honestly wish that some of the the old rules of thumb would just die. The, the like um. Everybody bragging, oh I, oh, I took off on my maiden flight and it's two clicks of trim and it was straight. It's like I've never had a 3D hobby shop plane. I've never owned an aerobatic plane that was, two, that was two clicks away from straight. I've never owned one, regardless as to how I set it up. There's always a day of trimming. Do I like this center of gravity? Do I like a different center of gravity? And if you change your center of gravity, that's only two clicks away from anything. You're doing it wrong.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. It just because, changes so much the plane when you move that seat. Yeah,
1: because you you need to trim the plane so it's flying straight, and then um, do whatever that takes, whether that's mixing out decoupling, whether that's just just making sure it flies straight, and then you'll you'll simply have a better time. But all of that's got literally nothing to do as to how like 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 how much fun you're having, because a lot of guys will come out and they've bought a plane that's maybe a bit too much, maybe they spend a bit too much on it and they're a little bit cautious about it. Like if like if you've stretched your budget on an aeroplane, you're not gonna fly it as fun as something that you're just gonna throw around. You're just not. But just figure out whatever you're gonna have fun. Like back to that 42 inch slick the overpowered 42 inch slick. Like I can be at an event where everybody's got super serious giant scales, but I can make everybody stop and have a giggle with that 42 inch slick. Because when you just smash it down line into a blender and just do crazy stuff, it's just fun. There's no skill involved in bashing the sticks into the corner. It's just fun.
0: The the most, uh, I, I, just on that point is like, I, I, just from my own experience is like, the times that I've been at the field where I've just been having a, a great time and just really memorable, like there was one oh, last year, the year before, I was down at a club in chuka the and um, there were a whole bunch of us up in the air, right, and we are flying small stuff, I think, you know, nothing, nothing great um, with our foamies or something, and we're just egging each other on. Like, I'll sit in a hover, you do loops around me, right, and, you know, it was just where... We were flying so well because we were just so relaxed. Like, you know, when you get on a sim, it's amazing what you can do on a sim. And then when you get into real life, you're sort of a bit more reserved than what you can do on the sim. But the sim tells you that you can actually fly. You can actually do these things. And when you break yeah. down and you just focus on having fun and you're not worrying as much, you actually fly better. And we had an absolute. We're just laughing, and you know, just it's just literally. Let's just do stupid stuff, and and you can still do yeah. stupid stuff and still be safe because there's people out there go, oh, that's unsafe in the door. Absolutely, no, we're miles away. Like, like we're not near anybody. It's just that we're safety
1: is just about distance. <laughs> yes, it
0: is. It is. But it's a funny thing. Uh, like here, and I, no doubt around the world, there's this sometimes this negative view of 3D. Oh, it's dangerous, and they're too close, and blah blah blah. If you're hovering a plane down on the deck nine meters away, right? What are the chances of it careering off into the crowd when you're that low? It's going to hit the ground pretty yep. quickly because you're that yep. low, <laughs> and because of the orientation you're in, and and it's never happened. We've never seen it happen. Like you know, I've seen people crash planes down low, but not in a hover. Actually, it's always yeah. you know stalling it down low and plonking yeah. it on the deck or something like that. But um. Yeah, I've I've been I've been i tried to wave the flag here for three D flying and, and try to sort of change the perceptions, but there's a bunch of people that just they don't get it, and because they don't get it, they think it's unsafe because we're flying lower, we're flying could be closer in kind of thing. But it's like, how can someone that's sitting forty meters away from the plane work out whether the pilot's got the plane nine minutes away from yourself? But they do. They'll see yeah. the peanut gallery, I call them.
1: Well, I think a lot of those guys have also just haven't figured out how to have. How to have honest fun at the flight line before, and I do think that it takes some, some of the rare events where people are just carrying a little bit less to to let their hair down and 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 just have fun. Like the like the one event that I went to this year. So so there's an event in New York State called the Nake Fair, and it's about as uptight an event as you can get with you know policing of the types of flying and doing with the flight stations and everything else. And then that was so uptight that this group of guys created, created the opposite version of, of that event at the same flying field. Yeah. And that was the one that I went to. And it's basically like, there is no rules. Just don't be dumb. Just, just let everybody just have fun. And, and I think that if more people just, Knew knew how to have fun, fun, honest fun, not the I'm I'm trying to impress my friends fun with the radio that I own kind of fun, but just but just fun, fun. That things would be just different and just just get out and grin.
0: We had a um at my my local club um last year I think it was yeah last year because we haven't had any events for a while. Uh, they had a um a stole competition. Yep, and it was. Also, it, was, it was one of those days where we had perfect weather, really good food, great turnout. And I said to them, I helped the organisers a bit, and I said, okay, what do you want? You want this is all about fun. He said, you want to encourage heckling, right? Because you want that banter. It, we don't want a quiet flight line where everyone's taking it really seriously. We're bringing our foamies out and trying to see if we can plonk them on a spot, right? That's all we're trying to do. And they laid yeah. out the field. They put lines, you know, marked the field out and everything. I said, we want to have music playing right? Because music changes the vibe. We want to get everybody to pit really close to the flight line so that they can heckle. Um, And I, I said, I'll get on the microphone and rev people up as well. And, you know, have a bit of a banter and that kind of thing. Because I said, it's all about creating that vibe of just fun. And it was just awesome. We had, it was so good. And so much so that they can't. Everyone can't wait to have it again because, and it, and we'll get more people turning up to it because they now they want to participate in the event because it was, it was fun. To, you know, we didn't lose any planes really. Most people were flying. There were different categories for gases and. Well, that's regretful because
1: because one of the most thing one of the most fun things is when you break an airplane just enough that you stop caring about it for that event. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's just hilarious nice. because you do all kinds of stuff with it. Well. In China, at the China
0: Top Show, at the, at the last day, they always have a stupid competition, right? So it might be like mm-hmm. a limbo comp or, um, you know, all sorts of different crazy things, right? We had one in 2019 where you had to take off, turn your engine off and do a dead stick landing and see if you could do like a spot landing. They had a, they had a water bottle oh, yeah. and people just yeah. like, they were everyone. I've I got a video on it on, on on YouTube or something and it's just, everyone yelling and screaming and egging people on to just get lower and lower and just do stupid thing, come in inverted and all that. And we had another year that when we were in um, with, with Jace when he was there and it was blowing a gale, like literally people were flying kites. Like you wouldn't even, it wouldn't even sit out your front door. It was that windy kind of thing. And then these guys doing like a limbo comp or something. And they are bring out their tiny little 60 inch planes and one after the other, they were just plonking them in and winds will flow. And the, the pilots were going to pick up their planes, they had the biggest grin on their face like that was unreal. Yeah. Did you see that? It's like you just, just beat your plane, so fun! But, um, but yeah, yeah. You know, thought that we we're going to have crash. Yeah, like
1: at a 3D event once, there was um bowling bowling pins. If you set up a 10 pin worth, worth of bowling pins and you got to knock them down with your tail, that's also good fun. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, things like that
0: you can do safely still. It's not a matter of safety. It's about just no, yeah. sitting there and, and people can grab their foamies and do it and whatever and, you know, not much damage with the foamy. And-
1: no, well, it's hovering. So if you yeah. have the 10 pins out, out the other side of the strip, even if somebody breaks a, breaks a plane, that's fine. Like, just put them in a safe spot so you have to go – like, you have to walk out to them, kind of thing. But stuff like that's just fun. So – and probably one of the earliest memories of – I that I've had of an event like that was probably back at Dubbo where we had a control line competition. And at the back of, and on the end of a control line combat event, they'll usually have a butcher's picnic where it's, where it's just collision and it's the last, the last plane up wins. And when you get uh, literally a half dozen guys in the middle of a control line circle, it's just awesome fun. Yeah. It's amazing. We had a thing here that was going
0: at one point in time, which was called Scanner Racing, the Phoenix Scanners. You know, little 46 size, you know, nitro-powered kind of thing, right? Low wing. And they were cheap, rock solid. Like, they're almost unbreakable, those planes, because they just build them out of concrete, I reckon. But uh, but they'd set up a couple of pylons, like two pylons, and everybody had to fly around. You'd have, like, 10 people plus up in the air flying around. Yeah. And um, I remember going out to the Ararat Club and, and 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 we just had it just for fun. Like, so everybody takes off and it's the last plane standing kind of thing that everybody basically do a dead stick landing. And, um, and, but you also have to sort of try to, you know, you're, you're racing, you're trying to do as many laps as you can kind of thing. So, you know, but it was so much fun because there were collisions that were happening because there was so many planes in the air. And I remember, I think I may have even won one of them. And that was, I was sort of, a tad off full throttle just to conserve but then trying to stay out of trouble but it was just and I bought one just to participate in the fun that's all the only reason I wasn't I'm not a fan of the, the you know the scanner flew okay actually it wasn't that bad but it was a plane that I would always fly flat stick so literally I would pin the throttle and just leave it pinned for the whole entire flight you know and just, just yeah just for fun you no know, wasn't stick. Yeah, I wasn't trying to be There's precise. A term and... that I haven't
1: heard in a while. Ah, I, must, I must be living in the wrong place. No, that's why it's flat out RC. We're Flat out. That's all we do. Yeah. Hit yeah. the throttle. Well, actually, the the phrase of a of a mate that I grew up with was his 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 favourite term for that was flat maggot. <laughs> well, see. So I always wanted to make a pile racer called the flat maggot. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. Yeah. Good name.
0: You know, okay, you haven't been in Australia for a while. Um, how does the flying scene compare that error modeling scene in the US? Because we we hear how big it is compared to the Australian scene, but Australia's
1: pretty. Yeah, tidy, but... it's it's just more of it. So every, you know, the country is what ten times the size in population. So there's just more chunks of it, the same size of a size as Australia. So like if within this, like for the US basically Vic- Victoria and and New South Wales can be the same state and then each little chunk of the country has the same size of events and every now and then you have everybody joining in for the Joe Knowles and stuff so there's just generally more of it so. which also means that that all the little that all the little nuances get to Get to do a little bit more than they normally would, like like things like patent events and uh, scale aerobatics down in Australia have. They're pushing shit uphill because because they got to try and get people to turn up, and they're spread all over the country. Whereas you can get that kind of participation in in every tri-state area in the U.S. Basically, so that just means so that just means that they get to have have a lot of those 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 size of events and if you couple in things like the internet and being able to spread the word and stuff then then you can have these little in Im, little impromptu events that uh, grow out of nowhere because that was one of the one of my favorite things to do with 3d hobby shop was just um ch- just chat with a friend saying i'm going to turn up at your flying field with a bunch of guys this weekend so anybody in the area can come and stacks on and that's what I called it. Stacks on. Not that any of the locals understood, understood what that what meant. These, Yeah, we know that down Australia. I <laughs> yeah, it was it was a stacks on at this field, so we go and have a stacks event, and uh, it'd be good fun. And it's and what I like about those events is you only get the people turning up that want to have fun. Like you've weeded out all the people that that want to turn up with an expensive plane just for the sake of an expensive plane. It's just it's just let let's just turn up and have fun. And that's all I wish
0: that anybody did was just turn up and have fun. We there used to be the 3D Hobby Shop fly-lowing events in the US and, and I tried to exactly replicate that in Australia and had the the you know the 3D Hobby Shop Australia fly-lowing and we had yeah. some great times and I've got like a video to do so one of fun. them. so much fun. And the mates that I've got like I mentioned people like Chris rutnut Rudder well he was a customer he bought 103 extra he had a the, the LT extra, which lasted two flights because you forgot to put fuel in it and bend it, which he tells me, no, it went off the air because of radio frequency Issues, But I'm like, yeah, good on you. He's probably drunk. Um, but, you know, Marty Morgan who has been on this podcast and, you know, had bought slicks and, and whatever. This all came from organising an event where like-minded 3D guys would just get together and they would travel. They'd make an effort. Some guy, Chris Rudder would travel 13 hours to get to the event from, you know, northern yeah, New South Wales absolutely. down to Victoria. And that that friendship that we that created still lasts. And I haven't run one for a couple of years. I'm tempted to go and run another one. Just because there's a new crop of young guys we've got that next generation of 3d coming coming through and sort of give yep. them something and and something to to
1: latch on to yeah. as well but um I honestly yeah. wish it had coincide with with me visiting home because oh. because I would love one more road trip with dad I would just love another one yeah and 'cause be because dad hasn't seen me fly a big one yeah. So I the last time I visited I, I set him up with a little forty eight inch extra and stuff and but he hasn't seen me throw down with a big one. And I'd love to drive to an event and borrow someone's big one and I've got a couple there for you. You can choose one. Well, give I'm it a fling. Up. I'll but, open um, up
0: I'll open up the keys to the trailer and say which lot plane what what mode do you fly?
1: <laughs> uh, mode two mate. Mode like, like 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 everybody should. Yeah, well. Because somehow dad, well, dad started as single stick, and that's how he ended up on mode two. But, um, oh, really? Yeah, transmitters is another fun thing, too. Because, because the other thing that people might have heard me out in the field is you know, the Tyrannus, the, the Fry Sky Tyrannus, yeah, yeah, with those sound packs and everything. So, if you hike. So if you hear a nice American girl coming out of those transmitters that's actually my wife. Oh really? Yeah. Because the world famous Amber sound pack is 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 my is my work. So I created a sound pack for the Taranis and OpenTX. So so Dad's actually been flying and and all of a sudden my wife's talk talking to him <laughs> and then Dad's trying to uh, um, and then dad's trying to tell the guy, like, that's actually my daughter-in-law. And they're like, oh, <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> when was the last time you got
0: back to Australia?
1: Uh, it's a couple of years now. Also, thanks thank, thanks to COVID. But, um, yeah, too long. It's always too
0: long. Yeah. Oh, well, the next time you're planning a trip, just yell out and we'll see if we can organise an yep. event for you to come well, to. Well,
1: Brad Worm is – I'm chatting with Brad, Brad, Little a bunch of – and he's and he's trying to get me down there as as much as possible. So great, bloke. and that's one of the things. And that's one of the things that I love about the internet is, thankfully, in this day and age, you can actually collaborate and help people from a great distance, which is really cool. Well, that's another thing that I I love it when
0: I see your name pop up in a, in a, in anything that I put up or whatever that giving some people advice. Because as I said, I see you as that trustworthy voice because you've been involved in it at a certain level that probably most have never. Dealt with and and so you've you've worked you know you've been exposed to some pretty good stuff and and you've got some really good advice and um and it's good that uh, the worms is reaching out to you because he's a he's a great bloke I've, I've done a bit of flying with him we, we I call him a sim buddy we love getting <laughs> yeah. yep, on the sim he's actually only sixteen year old and he's and you know what and he's listening to this podcast so hi wormy I'll we'll get on the sim tonight maybe I you'll. We'll go and have a bit of a play, but he, he listens to every single one and I know they yep. come out on a Wednesday and he's listened to them by Wednesday night, but, um, yeah, he's one of the up-and-coming uh, young guns here in Australia and um, a, a good guy. To yeah, pick. it's all so, cool. So, yeah, so please, cool. if you ever see anybody that needs advice in any of my platforms or whatever, just pull, you know, listen to Aaron Bates. He knows yeah, what so he's talking that. about. No,
1: no. I just I just like things that work and and the simpler that something works, the better. Yeah, True.
0: True. Actually, you know what the Ducia family's been really good at that with their models that when you look inside their planes. They just keep things simple and you know, I was, I was actually a friend of mine was, you know, showed me a photo of the inside of his jet. And I'm like, "Man, how much junk have you got in there? Like how many extra bits of modules do you need when the radio does all this yeah. nowadays? Like don't you just want to simplify things instead of having more more you know, complexity in your model like Less cables, less doodads yeah. in it. You no, know, what do you need that and this and that? And that's like-
1: well, sometimes less is more, and sometimes more is more, and it's all too complicated because because you know, like everything else, the radio manufacturers are trying to sell the next product, like Futaba's trying to sell the next next bus thing, and everybody's trying to make it too complicated. But but there's a lot of cool products out there that thankfully you don't have to spend too much spend too much money. Like things like so so one of the things was um. So XPS products, they ship down to Australia. So they make the XPS 10, 10 plus, and that's a 10 channel expander. It takes every serial input that you can think of. It's only 30 bucks US, and it's amazing for 30 bucks. Um, so it'll output to 10 to to 10 channels. You can set up some power redundancy. Um, that, yeah. In 2021, there's just amazing products for, for not too much stuff. Yeah, it is. Like, there's, there's pa- so much. Particularly if you're flying stuff like the – like I'm flying the Fry FrySky uh, radio just because of the bang for buck and I, c- I can get all the mixing out for the Honey Badger that I need. So it's a $150 radio that's more capable and it's mixing and output than a $2,000 radio. Mm. It's amazing. So, so things I, I, like that.
0: I always laugh, you know, when you see those posts on Facebook. Um, you know, I'm thinking about buying a radio. Which one should I buy? This Spectrum or this Futara whatever? I'm like, oh, here we go. It's like, it's here the same go. thing. It's just another radio. Like, and it, they're yeah, like, yeah. oh, but no, it has got my field flying Spectrum and he lost, <laughs> he lost his plane. I said, you sure it was the Spectrum? Or his battery that he didn't charge was a problem? Or what was it? It's like, yeah. Uh, I always say that if any of these radios were really, really bad, We'd all know about it because it's spread like wildfire that there's an yeah. inherent problem. But right. I've never heard right. of any really radio manufacturing having this massive. Not for years.
1: Problem. So yeah, it used to be it. a problem in like two thousand and five, two thousand and ten. The radio product protocol shenanigans was yep. huge with 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 actual merit. Like like, as soon as I say this statement, somebody's going to be screaming at their podcast device saying it. It always worked for me, but but there was a genuine problem with DSM two. There was a genuine technical merit issue with with that radio protocol, Um, and and things like Futaba. So, Futaba come up with the protocol that every other manufacturer has ended up copying. So that's my brand love, but that's about it. So so I'm I'm not flying Futaba at the moment. I'm flying something else due to reasons because I love telemetry and I don't want to pay for it. You listen to your wife's voice whilst you fly yeah yeah some of that um well that's actually pretty funny because because i can have an argument with her and then i can go outside and want to de-stress and just have a good (laughs) fly and she's still talking at me (laughs) that's
0: a good point
1: so that's always a little bit weird but um (laughs) yeah the thing about futaba is i learned to fly in futaba it's literally the first brand that i ever knew as a kid um so I have mad love for it, but but I don't want to pay 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 for Futaba in 2021.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those situations. I was in um, when I was last in China. I was talking to Um Orville Sheng, who owns Jewel and he was doing some sort of um power yeah. distribution boards and stuff and linking into the different manufacturers and whatever. And I said to him, "How hard is it to you know work out their protocols and interface with their protocols?" You know, uh, and he said, "He says not hard at all." He said Yeah, it's he said easy. a lot of the, some he said some of them are open open source two point four gig protocols. And he said it's it's not that difficult at all. And you know, people will make out that they're really complex kind of uh protocols that they've all developed and it's like, yeah. no, well, he said to me, Oh, this one's a Western digital or something protocol that Jetty's using or somebody whoever was using it and he goes he goes, No, nah, it's nothing he goes we can get the information yeah. really quickly and we can program
1: our stuff to suit to yeah. so because they're all using the same chipsets. They're all using a similar, similar protocol. Yeah. The only one that's really different is, so what was funny was because FrySky come out with all of their hardware and then a bunch of people cloned them and then FrySky encrypted their protocol so that nobody could figure out their protocol. And the only reason for that encryption is so that people can't figure it out. That's what, like there is no technical merit to encrypting your protocol. it's literally extra CPU cycles to decrypt it before it gets back into the system. So it's just a whole bunch of weirdness. Well, we've seen,
0: um, we've seen Spectrum come out with their Android based um, operating systems. Do you think that that is, you know, direction that things will go towards with a lot of these um, transmitters now? (sighs) Maybe.
1: Maybe. Maybe not that I, not that I care. Like I can write an Android app because it's part of that is what I do for a day job. But, um, but the computer radios are just so capable and there's just so much, there's so much spare CPU room. It's kind of ridiculous. The only thing that annoys me in this day and age is that brands like Spectrum and Futaba still put out a six channel radio when there's no reason for it, because because once the protocol once the radio protocol is just arbitrarily sending X amount of channels, there's no reason for six channel radio. That's 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 limiting it for the sake of limiting it. And that's the reason why Fry Sky managed to come along with the Tyranus and just eat everybody's lunch because because you can just arbitrarily support sixteen channels or thirty two channels. So there's just that's the only silliness going on at the moment yeah makes a lot of sense because because it used to be like back in the old radios of the 36 megs and that where where there was actual hardware related to getting those extra channels over the air because it because it was extra things to to get into the signal and there was actual hardware cost in those extra channels but but once we moved to a computer based digital signal the number of channels was academic so why so why do we still have to spend two hundred dollars for a six channel radio? That's that's just silly. Because they, it's
0: marketing. <laughs> you have to have a product yeah. range. So how do you differentiate a product pretty range? Radios, you say, this one's got a bigger screen and it's colour, and this one has this. But you know, I always say that fundamentally they all do the same thing. Uh, you know, yeah, that, and much. most of us aren't going to notice. I've got an old Spectrum DX eighteen um, radio that's probably I don't know seven eight years old maybe now. And, you know I've looked at the newer spectrum versions I've got your spectrum gear so you know I might stick with the brand anyway and the only reason for me to upgrade is telemetry I really would like voice telemetry um, especially when I'm flying like my, my competition glider or something like that but
1: well 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 the voice part of it's not not all that difficult and it's not all that technically hard but the the best telemetry particularly for me as a 3d pilot is is once you get a current sensor, you can do the math on how many milliamps you, you've used. And then once you have a milliamp alarm saying you should land now, that saves you hardware. I am absolutely sh- certain s- that my Velox would be broken if it wasn't for that alarm. Because that's what I always do is like I go past my usual timer. Ah, oh, sure, surely I could get in another couple of X amount of maneuvers before I have to land. It's like, okay, I've broken the airplane again. Whereas, like, if you get a, a solid battery battery alarm saying, you have emptied the battery, you need to land now, you, you just land. Like, there's no point in arguing with that. I've used up the battery. I, I should just land. Well, it's,
0: it's um, you know, I've got a turbine jet. And we're always paranoid about running out of fuel and, you know, managing time, stuff like that. Having fuel flow sensors or something like that can give you, and which I think some people do. do. I think no jetty's got something where you can you can Absolutely. get that vision. But I think, you know, like my radio has telemetry, but it doesn't have voice. And because it doesn't have voice, I've got to look down. I don't wanna look down. I like I wanna know that when I'm, you know, with my competition glider. What setting am I in the landing phase? Like where have I got my flap settings? I want, you know, and now I think with the new iX twenty, you can touch the um the the, the switch and then it'll read out, it'll tell you what setting you're on. Um so there's a lot of extra functionality, but it comes at a premium price for, you know, a little bit of extra extra ease of it use. It doesn't have to though.
1: No, right. no, no. Of course it's fifty dollar hundred hundred and fifty dollar tyrannus will give you everything you just mentioned whereas a 250 like a $200 radio master will will give you that with a color touchscreen. And that's what I'm currently flying
0: is a $200 radio master. I, you know, I've been trying to get someone from Spectrum on from their development department to talk about this Android movement. One of my concerns, you know, I do work with some customers around mobile computing and Android operating system and all that. And I know that what happens is applications, you know, Android will keep on being developed by Google and they'll keep on bringing out new updates, right? And that can render old apps redundant. They're like they can't be. They can't now. They don't operate on this new operating system or this new version. What happens in ten years' time if you've updated your Android operating system? One, does the whole thing slow down like your smartphones do and all that kind of stuff? Is you know updates happen and operating system upgrades and all that? Or you know, will 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 they continually update the application as well so that you it do have a, a decent life from your radio?
1: I well, know. all of that stuff is 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 up to the vendor, and things only get out outmoded on your mobile phone because a vendor decided that they wanted more money out of you. That's true. So 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 even if you get somebody on from Spectrum, you're basically asking them as to what their revenue model is going to be, because there's there's literally no no reason that the old applications can't run on new newer Androids. Because basically Android runs is runs runs a Java virtual machine, and all that stuff is backwards compatible. So it's so it's only so it's only up to the vendor as to how they've architected it, and how they're upgrading it to force people to upgrade. That yeah, because 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 that's the thing about um, the older revenue models like the Futabas and the Spectrums is they they're still trying to push that. You need to upgrade again. And, and my heart goes out to them. It's, it's, it's obviously a problem. You want to keep the revenue. It's harder to find the new eyeballs. So you have to pilfer the money of the people that you've already sold sold, sold to once again. So it is a challenge. And um, if I was in their shoes, I'd probably be doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah, well, I have to.
0: Uh... It's one of those things we're talking, almost winding back a little bit. One of my beefs with some of the manufacturers is they develop a model like the, you know, the, the AJ slick and people loved that, that plane. It was an, it was one of those iconic aerobatic planes, really that plane, you know, it had, it had presence on the ground. It was a big chunky airframe and all and sat high up and looked bigger than it was in a kind of way. Um, but there was always this never ending cycle to have another model to keep them buying more and more and more, which, which meant that access to those iconic models was like a few and far between. Like the 3D Hobby Shop Bigfoot, which mind you, I bought one. I, I sold one to a customer and then I bought it back once after he built it, I ended up doing a deal and bought it, bought it off him. And I don't think it was the best 3D Hobby Shop built plane that was out there. It was a lot more complex than the other planes that they were accustomed to building. But it was very different. Yeah, it was a very different plane. Very, very different. But that that lasted the manufacturing of that lasted maybe a couple of years, max, not even that. Like you know, a few, a few, a few production runs, and then they move on, and then, and then they'd leave them on the website as if you know you could get them, but they would never gonna. People say, "I want a three D hobby shop bigfoot." I said, "You're never gonna get one. I'm not gonna build one now because you know why? Yeah, the manufacturing is gonna be consumed building the next generation of aerobatic planes, and they're not gonna have time to go and do another run of things unless you
1: want someone wanted to order 150 of them. and They'll go, okay, we'll make. Well, all of those things were that was just all about the customer and if you had to complain about anybody it's the customer let's just complain about the cost of the customer for not buying stuff because because if the customers bought stuff they stayed around that's all there is to it it had none that, particularly with the bigfoot and and other things you're trying to play the marketing thing you're trying to play the zeitgeist of what everybody's excited about online to to market the the next exciting thing but but you you can also end up with products that end up with an incorrect mark against their name for some adverse reason if like if the wrong person doesn't like them for some particular reason or another and then they voice why why they don't like it then that can talk and that can torpedo a product and that's and that's regretful because I heard that so and so didn't like that plane. They said that it did this Absolutely. and the blah,
0: blah, blah. And I was like, did really? He's like, really? Yeah. yeah okay, give like- it to Jace Duse here and see how he flies it. Oh, look, it flies really yeah. well. Gee, look, I always say to people nowadays, I've become a bit skeptical in my old age. Uh, you know, people say to me, <laughs> they they say, oh, that place, look, plane looked like it flies nice. I said, who was flying it? Oh, Jace Duse here. I went, oh, yeah, yeah. Have you seen Jace fly at the top of an Esky lid? Yeah, he flies that really well yeah. as well. I said, you can't really, judge yeah. how well a plane flies when you give a gun, give it to a gun. But when, when I had um, the Flat Out RC magazine, I would get Ido Segev to do test flights. And, I, and because Ido was able to articulate very, very precisely how that airframe performed, he was very, very in touch with the feel of the plane. And that's what I wanted because the average punter couldn't actually give an objective view. They like, go, Oh, yeah, flies well. You know, it's like, but he could articulate it. And I, that's why I put some stuff on YouTube where I'd recording it on my phone. As straight as soon as he'd land, I'd record and go, okay, what was that like? And he was really articulate in the way that he could um, you know, explain the flight characteristics. Um, and, you know, and he could tell you what was good and he could tell you what was bad from literally one flight. And that meant more to me than you know, the traditional model for magazines was you find a bunch of guys that are willing to write something and build the model and put their own engine in it and all that kind of stuff. And every review became the same thing. It was like, yeah, it's really good. I didn't have to, you know, it didn't couple in
1: knife edge. It was like, well, like you said, most planes will do depending on your setup and stuff. But Yeah, there's a lot of unfortunate things which, which happen in the hobby in general. And if people are living by vicariously through others, then then they can be flying a plane which is actually performing pretty well. But if other but if the people around them but if they think that the people around them isn't don't 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 think that it's a very good plane, then that can affect their enjoyment of it. Like like you mentioned the Bigfoot, but there's a lot of planes that are out of production, which I think were the best flying planes of all time. Like my 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 favorite flying three D hobby shop plane of all time is the Viper. The 65-inch Viper is amazing. Um, was amazing. Can't buy them anymore. Can't buy them, yeah. um, but the, the it was Big designed foot, by the Bigfoot flies Scott well. and Ben. Is, yeah, the book flies well. Um, you'd have to be honest and say that you can put it into a spin that's hard to recover from. I've never put it into a spin for that reason. <laughs> no, don't do it. You can put it into a spin that's hard to recover from. <laughs> yeah. But... Um, but 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 things like the Viper. So the Viper is a 3D pattern hybrid de- designed by Scott Stoops and Ben, and it's it's just wonderful. It's zero coupling, literally zero coupling. Like when like when I said earlier about I don't have a plane that I don't couple or whatever. Well, I actually fly the Vipers without coupling, without without mixes. It's very, And It's um, just pattern-like in a way that Viper. it's amazing. It's just amazing, and. I I I think that the very best of my flying was done with a viper and I have a I have a brand new one sitting in the garage that I'm very slowly putting together really
0: and I can't wait for it the um do you think that you know with
1: some of the guys
0: you know even so like the the 3D hobby shop slick the AJ slick I see a bit of pattern lines coming into even that slick that big massive turtle deck and that kind of stuff do you think that you know that was something and you look at now aj aircraft that people say to me you know oh i wish i had a 3d hobby shop 104 aj slick and i'm like go and buy the aj slick or whatever because it's you know they're from aj aircraft because you can see a design philosophy do you think that you know yeah. some of these designers are bringing in some of those sort of pattern-like philosophies into the into the airframes
1: yeah well um well pattern is obviously one of those aerobatics competitions where it doesn't matter as to what it looks like so they get to just blue sky everything and then andrew was very very particular about this the style of imac planes that he wanted to fly and so we designed the the slicks around that with a with a balloon-like fuselage and and obviously there's a there's a whole rash of balloon-like airplanes to choose from now from um you know aj aircraft and skywing they also have very Balloon-like fuselages yeah. with vestigial wings. <laughs> yeah, that's right. but they all behave a certain way yeah. and 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 um, have a lot of merit. so um, what I'd actually love to see is that iMac, so iMac scale Aerobatics is meant to have a rule of being within ten percent of scale. I just wish that everybody would just own up and say, none of these things are scale anymore. Yeah. Let's just build something <laughs> that flies nice because none of those things are within the rules anymore. Like the AJ aircraft laser, nobody can tell me that that is within the rules. And and the thing about a scale aircraft and IMAC competition is you're meant to have documentation with you that, that uh, proves that that airframe is within scale. Nobody's got that documentation. It's only because nobody's holding their feet to the fire.
0: That's true. And you know, the funny thing is, I like how the the manager requirement is you must have a must have a pilot in sitting in the cockpit. You know, that's like that scale because we put a pilot inside it. But yeah, it's, it's, yeah. there was a, there was a stage there where. Um, so and I nice. spoke to Chris Hinson about this, and he said, look, we've worked out what works pretty much. We know our airfoils and all this kind of stuff. And I, I, there was a phase where I thought that every plane that Extreme Flight were were making looked exactly the same. There was just a different scheme on it. They're, not the more recent ones, because I think they're sort of a bit different, but, but um, you know, go back um, when the 3D hobby Shop sort of brand was around, you go like, yeah, it's, that extra looks a bit Well, they're actually all... Know?
1: they're actually all pretty close like if you put them all together in photoshop layer over layer so they're all the same size they're all getting closer and closer because because also because their their design pilots are also after the same thing which is let's make jace happy and make him rolls roll crazy fast yeah so if they're all after that same 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 target they're all going to drift together kind of thing the, the only plane which is really something different I'd say at the moment is the the Turbo Raven from Cody Wojcik. Um, Cody's a match of a designer. He's a super talent, super smart guy. Um, I'm looking forward to whatever his next airplane is. Yeah. No. He's just a cool, cool dude. We don't – like every week
0: I, I keep an eye out for any new models that might be coming out and it might be exciting.
1: So Cody Wojcik's the designer behind the Bushmaster, the Turbo Raven, the Krarak Yak, uh, sorry, he did the crack yak with um, Herc Driver. What's his real name? I forget his real name. The dude's probably gonna—he might listen to this and be mad at me. Um, I forget his name, but he's Herc Driver. That's his handle, so he'll live with that. Yeah. Um, so 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 Cody and um, Cody and Herc Driver were were the crack yak guys. So all the airframes from from, from Twisted Hobbies, which uh. Which are worth a dime uh, from Cody and Herc Driver. Talented boys. Talented boys. Yeah, there's some of their um some yeah, some of their are phenomenal. Yeah. 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 But there are also dudes that just wanna go out to the field and have fun. Hanging out with those guys are is is just a blast. Like uh Herc Driver was actually Back when I was doing the reviews and I was flying the Precision Aerobatics Ultimate, Herc her driver really set me up with how to trim a plane well too. So he he had a different technique to to how um, Peter does it, uh, mostly using downlines for the center of gravity and stuff, but it works pretty well. Yeah. Well,
0: look. There's a big question that I always end up with, and it's the signature move that I have that everybody can't wait to hear the answer from. (laughs) And that is, what has been your favorite model of all time? There's a few that you've mentioned as being great models, but you know, what is that number one model that stands out to you as being
1: the greatest? The greatest, the greatest. Um, that's a very hard question, and that's a reason why you save it till last.
0: So, well, you know what? To be honest, see, I I warn people before the we record. Didn't I warn you and say I'm going to ask you this question? You really did warn and, me. But and the people not that say, it. "Exactly." It's a common thread that people get to that question. and Go, oh, you've stumped me now. Sometimes
1: people know straight away, but um. yeah. Um, my favorite airplane is um, whatever I've just finished charging and just about to fly. How about that? What a soft answer that is. That is the most
0: appalling answer. Is that, in 70 is that weak source? This is episode 75 of the Flat RC podcast, and that is the worst answer I've ever heard to that it's question. It's just
1: weak sauce. Yeah, so, no, no, the best well, one, the, the one that I just the built. The Velox that I'm flying at the moment is crazy good for tumbles. If I want to fly precision and 3D, it would definitely be the Viper. The Viper would be hard to beat in most situations um the 57 inch extra or the actually my favorite 3d plane of all time and be the 57 inch 3d hobby shop extra that's no longer sold um well, can, no we, take that, can we take mad. that as
0: an answer because if i let you go you're going to go on and say yeah. oh this was good and um yeah the honey badge is not bad either and it's just like but um
1: it, no it's, the it's, honey badge is a different beast i don't think that i could call it my favorite
0: what's interesting is how uh you're not, af- you're not afraid to give praise to a smaller plane because we're in this world of bigger is better and, you know, everybody going by a b- bigger plane. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, you love those um, those smaller planes where you just have some, some severe The tiny
1: with. 42-inch slick, like I said, I can make everybody stop and watch me flying a 42-inch slick yeah. regardless of what they're flying.
0: See, Jace told me that he actually flies a lot of smaller planes because he said they're, they're better practice. Because he said the bigger planes are easier to fly. If you can do it with a 60 inch plane, then you can do it with 100cc easier. So he yep. does a lot of flying on smaller planes. We don't often see the videos. Yep. We always see the videos of the big stuff of doing demos and yep. stuff like that. But um, yeah, he's a big fan of the small stuff.
1: If you can see somebody flying really doing a SmackDown with a with a 48, 50 inch, 42 inch airplane, then. You know, penis size to penis size, they're they're better pilot than than the hundred cc plane, no doubt, no <laughs> doubt in my mind. Um, because because if you practice on the small stuff, like if you get your harrier technique down, so you can do it all with the small stuff, the big stuff's just easier because it's slower. It's no doubt. Well, I was, well I'm just laughing because I think you know.
0: If I need, I normally do a little caption video to promote the podcast. And I think you just gave me something there. I don't know if I'll use it. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, no, he's, you know it's they say we just the got euphemism. the
1: Yeah. We just got the thumbnail. <laughs> what are we adjusting
0: for? Yeah. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what I do miss the old 3d hobby shop podcast. They were so much fun. They were just yeah, awesome were. kind of uh, things. Well, Aaron, it's been awesome. Man. It's been good to relive some of the the glory days of three D hobby shop, and and your involvement was was extremely valuable, and um, really appreciate all the support you've given me over the years as well, on and off when uh, we've had no to worries, do some man. stuff, and um, and yeah, as I said, keep always going. happy to
1: have a chat.
0: I know, and look, we may get you back at some point in time. You know, you know, sure. yell out when you got some exciting stuff going on, and we'll um, definitely have you up and running. And oh, of course, when you're back in Australia, please, please reach out, and we'll see if we can pick sure. up and uh, we'll do mate. go for a fly. So, Aaron Bates, yeah. thanks once again for joining us here on the Flat Out RC podcast. Cool.
1: cool. Thanks, you. Have a good one. About to leave. Already packing.
0: Come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. Big thank you to... Aaron Bates for joining me all the way from the States. We had a, a, a nice long chat after we got off air. I think we were having a chat for about three hours in total, but um, a really good guy, uh, still loves Australia, but pretty much firmly planted in in the States. But um, I always said to him, you know, if you come back to Australia, let's get together and have a fly. I so said, don't worry, I've got the planes. Just turn up, hand the transmitter over and off you go. He's a good pilot. and uh, You should go on online, have a look at the Super Honey Badger that he's designed. If you Have a look at uh, 3DHS... Uh, Super Honey Badger or Aaron Bates, Super Honey Badger. You'll see what he was talking about. This is a phenomenal piece of work. Um, you know, it just shows you where his head, head's at. And the um, great scheme designer as well. Some of the best schemes I think have ever been produced. He designed the 75 Extra, 108 Extra um, 3 Hobby Shop uh, scheme, the last one that they did. And I've got two of those. And oh my God, they're the best scheme. Absolutely love them. So anyway, uh, hope you've been enjoying yourselves uh, listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the flatout RC Podcast, no matter what platform. If you're on Spotify, Apple, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, whatever, they're all it's all over the place. Don't forget to subscribe. And whilst you're in the mood for subscribing, don't forget the Instagram page, the Facebook page, and the YouTube channel as well. Just search Flat Out RC, you'll find them all on all those platforms. So big thank you, and don't forget special offers uh, with RC World and scale aero products at 10 percent discount offer flat out ngh at rc world and flat out 1010 at scale au to get those discounts big thank you to them for offering that to the flat out rc fans i'll be back next week another good one in the bag i've already got another interview i've done so they keep on rolling talk to you then